Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. You have to be there, like, but I wish I wasn't there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Means Ashling O'Reilly. Good morning. Morning, Shane Hannah. Oh, someone's finally done it back. Someone's <laughs> finally done it back. Cork, Cork's Colin Buhig in the corner as well. Good morning. Shane and Ashling, good morning. I thought, Ashling, you were doing a Southern American draw like Monin. Howdy, y'all. Manahan. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. nice. No one ever introduces you like that. You're always doing the nice introductions, thank you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Ashing does the nice introductions as well. She does. Usually. Um, Ashing well, thanks thank to people you. behind the scenes. Ah, yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah, Jared yeah. just throws out to call him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I did this one time and he's still holding on to it. He's remembered it. <laughs> You're like, Jared, I know it. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, know I, used to work on, uh, I used to work on Ivan Yates' programme. That was another hallmark of his as well. I think we used to thank the people at the end. Yeah, Pat Kenny does it quite a lot like people used to say to me when I worked on the Pat Kenny show I heard your name at the end of the show and I used to be buzzing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like this tuning in just to just yeah to yeah yeah, yeah. oh you definitely did it ah you have to yeah. Pat Kenny saying your name Pat Kenny saying your name unbelievable Pat Kenny. Jesus yeah. he's actually I can, I can literally see Pat Kenny from my seat here so yeah. I, hopefully he can't hear us from the <laughs> production box maybe hopefully he can hi Pat how are things um, the match last night United Crystal Palace uh Probably feels like two points dropped for United given the nature of the free kick at the end. Casemiro picking up a yellow card as well means he'll miss the, the Arsenal game at the weekend. Um, Michael Olise, Colin, this is a man we've been speaking about pre-show, uh, yeah. scores the free kick. And I'm there thinking, as soon as he scores the free kick, it, why why is he not celebrating? I mean, it's an equaliser against Manchester United at home in front of your own fans. It was an absolute belter of a free kick. And yet he just stood there. But um, you reminded me this morning of an interview that he did a, a few months ago and now it all makes perfect sense. Absolutely. It was in November. We have the audio here in a second. But um, his own Crystal Palace beat West Ham United, came from behind 2-1 and uh, Olise himself scored a 94th minute winner. So he's um, grown accustomed to this scoring late goals yeah, for the yeah. benefit of his team. And last night, as you said, Shane, he scored this wonderful free kick, like, you know, potential free kick of the season mm. in off the bar against a very much informed Manchester United side and he reacted like Cameron Hill said pre-show was probably the best description of it. He reacted as if he was waiting for VAR to see if the goal was okay. Even yeah. though clearly yeah. it was. Even in this VAR world we live in, at least set pieces are pretty clear that it's going to be allowed. <laughs> and he just stood there kind of like, okay, like a, like five to the arrow in an hour in a game of Astro where the next crowd's waiting to come on. Yeah. And everyone's giving up. It's like, all right, another goal. And he goes back to halfway line, but it's against Manchester United in the Premier League. And he's got a point. So anyway, he has form two months ago. This was his interview after the aforementioned uh, West Ham lay winner. Walk us through it. Through what? The goal. Mm. Uh, I think Wolf passed me the ball. Shot. Scored. <laughs> <laughs> nice and brief. But it, it, was a, it was a moment that, that captured the game, that won the game. And what's the feeling like when the ball does hit the back of the net? It was a good feeling. Do you feel you deserved it overall? Yeah. What? Oh. I mean, <laughs> that is my worst nightmare. As, as an interviewer, that must like, be like, yeah, pulling teeth. Oh, but that interview aligned perfectly with the celebration last night with the goal. Oh my god! So, so I wanted to make sure that people connected the same player. Like this is this guy's nonchalant, laid back attitude towards life, and yeah. yet a hell of a player. Like what a talent! Twenty one years of age, signed from Reading for Palace, and uh, like really like technically gifted player. But last night will kind of propel him, I think, to a new level, scoring that type of goal. 
And but the the only reason that the other reason that he was uh, in people's minds this season in a widespread scheme of things is mm. because of that post match interview. That was viral. Yeah, I remember thinking at the yeah. time, is this lad? Is he really boring or is he just really cool? Like, does he just not want to? Say much because he's cool and his friends are watching and he's 21. I don't know. <laughs> well, we were looking into then, it. So Patrick Vieira was asked, his, his own manager was asked after that West Ham game. Yeah, it was yeah. like, and Shane, you and I were literally about 10 minutes ago watching back that press conference and it was mm-hmm. a kind of very patronising question, wasn't it, by the, the yeah. journalist in question? Like, shouldn't you be kind of teaching a young player like that how to act off the field in interviews? Yeah. It's kind of basically the tone of the question. And Vieira was just very much laughed it off, being like, look, this is the way Michael is like. This has nothing to do with media. He's just, yeah. This is his character. If you ask him a question, he will give you literally the answer that you asked, and that's it. Yeah. That's just the way he is. Yeah. So I would veer towards the. I would, wouldn't say he's um, boring at all. I would say he's very much his own man, and um, that's the way he goes about life. Like I would like. I think in that interview, like he was just about on the right side of not being rude. Do you remember they used to say it about uh, just. Erling Haaland when he was at Salzburg oh, when yeah, he first yeah, yeah, came yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. And Haaland would be interviewed afterwards, like goal-scoring sensations. So he was in people's minds very early on. And he would kind of go out of his way to be a bit cheeky and a bit short. With yeah. But I think with Olise, there's kind of a natural feel to the way he's answering these questions, isn't there? I'd, yeah, I'd like to see him when he's 25 or 6. Like, Wayne Rooney was a terrible interviewee by all accounts. And then like, he did the whole beard scratch thing and uh, like the usual kind of nuances. But then he became actually a really good interviewee. So I'd like to see Olise in the four or five years. You know, does, Is he still the same? Or will he mature and realise, OK, I have to yeah, give him something here? They obviously don't go into football to, you know, to be doing media. Mm. A lot of them absolutely hate it. Like, I've seen it so many times that when I'm going towards a player to ask for an interview, they're like, no, please, please don't ask me, don't ask me. Like, they just don't like it. Yeah. And I think it's great that he's not media trained. Like, you need more of that, you know, yeah. be yourself. And I get what you're, what you're saying, that he's very reserved with it all is it almost a little bit of an act you know it's kind of funny and like it's yeah it's nice to have a few characters like that you know you need it in the game but yeah he's definitely his own person and he's not afraid to to show it because you're when you're in a tunnel after match Ash like you're probably you probably have a number of questions ready in your head or say four, five, six questions but for someone like like Michael Elise you probably would need to have 15, 20 questions ready to go because they're going to be they're going to be such short answers. Yeah, I always have like three or four and I'm like, hopefully we'll get into a conversation and yeah. I'll have other ones off the back Follow-ups. Yeah, so I won't need to be prepping too many questions. But yeah, with someone like Elise there now, I would yeah need about 20 questions ready to go. But you could probably have a laugh with him. You know, I'm yeah. sure you could you could come I off the so. back of... That's the vibe I get off of, Yeah, that he kind of has like, a, like we could play the audio there, but if you see the video as well, like there's kind of a cheeky, slightly cheeky grin to him. The whole spark. thing, there's a spark in the eyes, kind of like, yeah. look, this is what I'm going to say to you. And as uh, Anthony Graney is saying here in the live YouTube comments, uh, I'm only here so I won't get fined. Like there is that kind of element of it, like I, I have to do yeah. this, so I have to go. So I was searching frantically for his uh, post-match interview from last night and I hope that we get it eventually as oh, the day goes did on. Do you want, do you know? Uh, well, I'm trying to find it at the moment and certainly good audio uh, as a result. So maybe some kind soul will pop it in there to some sort of chat if we do get it. I suppose. Uh, I'd love to hear the updated version of Olise. 100%. Yeah. Month, months on, is he t- still the same? Like you got to ask open-ended questions to someone like that because the, the longest answer in that was describing the goal. Wolf passed me the ball, shot, scored. That was the longest answer. So, like, because it was a slightly open-ended question. No. The rest of them were one answer, one-word answers. Because yeah. I mean, the interviewer was just asking something that he can get away with saying no. nothing for. But what I loved about it was the very first uh, question. There was uh, talk me through it, through what? 
<laughs> what, what, what are the options? Where Michael? am I? The ninety fourth minute winner that just happened. <laughs> yeah. like, but some although, players yeah. don't think that way at all. They really don't. Yeah. Like I've been in positions like this, and I'm like, talk me through the goal, and they're like, oh yeah, um, and they're trying to think about it when <laughs> us as reporters or people that that work in yeah. the media, you know, wear our details, and that's the way we are because this is our job. But for them it's a lot of them is naturally go out there and just play. Yeah. You know, we were talking about maybe the, some of them wouldn't transfer over to management. Mm. It's just not in everyone to, to be like that. Some just go out and don't want a lot of instruction, yeah. want to just play their game. And when it comes to then asking things like, talk to me about the game. What? Yeah. Uh, what happened then? Like they find it hard to yeah, actually go to into details about happened. it. Well, you read yeah. about the media training, you know, like so many players, like you say, like it's kind of a homogenized thing where they are trained to, within an inch of their life to give answers that, that won't get anybody yeah. into trouble. Yeah. And the I- ironic thing is that the whole reason that the media are interviewing these people is because it's of public interest to people who, are, who follow the sport. So they want to hear from these people to get the inside track. But they're actually being trained to give answers that will not uh, excite the media in any way. So yeah. it's kind of this um, Wild West standoff that media and players are having. Uh, how so, can I answer this in a roundabout yeah. way? How can I answer that? this? Well, the so, G is the worst for that. Yeah, how can I answer this? So I, I do give you information, but not so much that I'm going to make a headline because yeah. I don't want to make a headline. Yeah. So like you were saying, you know, is Olise boring? And I would say absolutely not because it's very authentic. Like what I would um, say is much more boring interview is like someone who's speaking a lot more, but they're basically just talking around, like you were saying there, around an answer. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. they're saying is perfectly fine to listen to and we'll cover it, but you're missing that real like juice, like that real last 10% that's going to be the difference between a, an interview yeah. that just gets lost in the ether or one that we discuss, like Olise, like we're 10 minutes into the show and we're still discussing this. And the reason we chose to discuss it is because his celebration really stood out last night with that goal. You know? but, but someone like even Ronnie O'Sullivan used to do interviews like that and almost like, yeah, I'm only here because I won't get fined, but, and then give you nothing. But then he's all of a sudden then clicked into someone who's yeah. like, you know what, if I actually answer these honestly and properly, it will make the interview more interesting for me mm. and it'll and go quicker. It. Exactly. So like, it's one of those, like I remember one time Neil Foles, I think the snooker player did an interview with Ronnie O'Sullivan and Ronnie was just in the type of mood where he decided, I'm going to talk like a robot for this entire interview. So he sat there and was like, thank you Neil, I played very well in the match and he did this for like four minutes Jesus. and like, Neil was laughing, everyone was laughing but it's like, Trying to make an interview interesting for yourself. Maybe that's what Lisa is doing. Like, you know, I'm just going to give a couple of words here. It'll be funny. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody that's like struck me over the last while who've just absolutely just been themselves. Yeah. Um, in the rugby world, it can be quite media trained. Definitely yeah. when I got into reporting on rugby, I was like shocked by how right. media trained it all was. But Tyg Furlong was somebody that no matter what will be himself. Like, <laughs> I remember him coming into the press conferences just gone by there say for the Autumn Nation series and we hadn't really got him into many interviews but he was in because he was going to be captain Johnny was out Mm. and yeah he picked up the captaincy and like he was talking about his dad and oh I get him a new phone every week you know he only has one of those uh, old brick phones and once he can get the race and if he can see the results and he just like let us all in straight away and completely like all his answers are just himself there is Was there a question about spuds or something? Yeah I asked him um, did you ever think this would happen you know you know, becoming the, the captain of the, the Ireland team. And he's like, no, I never thought of it. You know, I never even dreamed of it. And I said, what do you dream of? And he's like, spuds, gravy, my mouth's broke. <laughs> oh, it's such a good answer. And the, yeah. wax, the Wexford accent just helps it. Yeah, right? it just, just took like, off. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, he gives you those little snippets. David well. Brady's another person who's just himself. Big time. Completely himself. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't hold that back. Just raw passion is how I describe him.
David yeah. Brady could read out his like his shopping to do list, and I'd start crying probably. <laughs> I'd be like, you know, he'd say it with such passion and gusto. He'd be like, oh, he had a great God. emotional interview in, in here in the studio back in 2019, where he said it here as well. What was that over? Reminiscing about old times, and ah, oh, was beautiful. Like it's actually in our. Yeah. It's actually when you come into the reception area in the building here, you will see it. It's in a montage. We we, we had him on the. There was a we did an event in in Monaghan. Um, it was after Oki Duffy passed away. But we had a uh, harps, Monaghan harps club light, and David Brady was one of the people on stage. I'd literally to say that the whole crowd had, like he had the whole crowd in his hands, mm-hmm. like he, the palm of his hands. Just everyone would listen to him. Sean Boylan was there as well on stage. And Malachi O'Rourke. There was loads of great people. But when David Brady spoke, everyone was listening. And it's like towards the end, it was you know we're taking questions from the crowd, and one of the young lads asked. Um, they were saying because Brady, Brady had an extra small T-shirt on and he had the guns out and <laughs> I think one of the young lads was slagging him saying how many press-ups can you do? And Brady like you're thinking oh what well, he can say nothing back to this and Brady was like come on up here started taking off his, like yeah. as in, we'll do it up on yeah. stage like it never happened but I mean he's a gas character like mm. yeah just... he lays it all out. <laughs> so, look in many ways you need those like ninety percent of interviews that are pretty dull in order mm. for like the likes of David Brady to be so authentic and I would <laughs> say Michael Lise is his own man in the same way that Brady is but in a very different delivery yeah and that's why I'm I'm celebrating it and I think it's a good thing. Um, also, Daniel Casey here saying Paddy Patterson's post-South Africa interview is good as well. So I'm liking these <laughs> shouts coming in for individual examples because uh, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to watch back think. a collection of yeah. best interviews, especially yeah. post-match, because post-match is so raw. Yeah. You know, you have... Um, Football, bloody hell. You know, you have Donaghy, like, write the Joe Bradley into the camera, uh, you know, like, 24, how'd you like that? Do you know, like, yeah. I love that. I love those moments, those authentic moments. That's where... That's I was playing 30 Seconds over Christmas and Kieran Donaghy came up as one of the people I like to describe. And I remember just being like, what do you think of that, Joe Bradley? And everyone was like, Kieran Donaghy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah, it, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Not it. the basketball and the all-out. All yeah. It's literally <laughs> Not, that, that line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another post-match interview last night was Eric Ten Hag lamenting yeah. the fact that um, Crystal Palace took two points off Manchester United when really United should have wrapped the game up mm. and uh, I was saying to you there uh, to both of you beforehand like the Casemiro loving continues online and my own WhatsApp group and I was like this guy is the best thing that's happened to United and basically since Alex Ferguson left was the opinion of some remember it was six months ago £50 million for a 30 year old who had done it all yeah. and had no motivation beyond possibly financial gain what were United doing signing Casemiro and what was he doing going there and now six months later it's like he could be the catalyst like Eric Cantona was in 1992-93 to actually lead United yeah. to a, a first title challenge, a, a proper title challenge. I know they came second in 2018 under Jose Mourinho, but an actual legitimate challenge this time for the first time in about a decade. So, and that was all going well. And then the 80th minute, he hacks down Wilfred Zaha. Kind of I thought, to, didn't he? thought he was lucky to stay on the pitch. Yeah, it was a it was ridiculously high, high tackle. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's going to miss the Arsenal game on Sunday, which could be, that could be the defining moment of the season for Arsenal. To, they could really win the league here. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, his chance right at the end, which I have sympathy for him because it came that awkward right. height where he didn't know whether to head it or volley it. He didn't know what to do with it. A knee. I think it was... Yeah. It's like it was the tie it in, yeah. I think. Yeah. Didn't know what part of the body... Like, it, yeah, I think Ten Hag even said afterwards that United did beat Arsenal earlier this season without Casemiro, so they just have to go and do that again. Um, does it feel a little bit different this time? Arsenal in a really, really rich vein of form. Mm. I think the closest anyone came to Casemiro last night was the fan running on for the selfie. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw no. that. Yeah, so he was very cool in. about it. Fan just runs yeah. on from the opposite side of the pitch. The security was clearly very, very lax to Sellers Park, and um, yeah, just ran straight to Casemiro. Selfie. He poses for it. Jogs off. It was bizarre. Casemiro's <laughs> there, left smirking. And like, what just happened? <laughs> he, he, that. he took it in his stride. But also, I noted like the form of Marcus Rashford and his confidence because the one-two he played with Christian Eriksen for United's oh, goal. Yeah, yeah. The the nonchalant uh, through ball to Eriksen. Do you see that when he didn't take a touch? Like mm. really, just came to him. 
no touch to set himself, which probably the Rashford of last season would have done and maybe even gone backwards or sideways. But Eriksen gives him the ball and just very, very quickly plays it through. And that totally splits the Palace defence. And then the pullback to Bruno Fernandes. And again, maybe last season, Fernandes snatches at the ball. Yeah, when yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo's on the pitch and somehow he, he never was quite the same player when Ronaldo was there with him. Mm. Uh, like the, Probably the best example is the Aston Villa penalty right at the start of last season when he took it instead of Ronaldo and blazed yeah. it over the bar. Yeah. And Emi Martinez was getting in his head saying, isn't Ronaldo the penalty taker? He should be taking this. Giving him a load. Yeah. So the ball goes to Fernandes and the box and... I was watching it thinking like oh take a touch but I thought he was going to shoot straight away but takes that one touch as soon as he took that touch to set himself goal all day yeah. long unbelievable yeah. Oh, Bruno yeah. Fernandes was brilliant What's man of the match in the last two games now for, for Bruno uh, Eriksen is one of the we're talking about Casemiro but Eriksen is one of the shrewdest pieces of business United have done in recent years he's just he's come alive now and he's working well with Bruno Fernandes and with Casemiro um, really really big fan of him and I tell you what Aaron Wan-Bissaka right back it's like a new signing. Mm-hmm. Like all of us, and you know, he knows that part of South London very, very well. He knows Wilfred Zaha very well. He had him in his pocket last night for, for large po- portions of the game, and that that tackle at the end. I mean, it could have been worse for United. They could have nearly lost the game because Zaha seemed clean through. Yeah, only well, for the long legs of Wan Bissaka. Well, with Wan Bissaka, his tackling has never been in question. That's always yeah. been the best part of his game. His recovery is incredible. Like, and there's actually there's a montage out there of Wan Bissaka's best tackles, and <laughs> he also he always just cuts and attack dry like mm-hmm. right then and there like there's no ambiguity about any of his tackles like bang and he gets the ball but the problem we that the club has had with Van Bissaka is that attacking wise he just wasn't at the level of his colleagues Yes, and Ten Hag seems to have brought that out in him and what I've noted in Van Bissaka is um, he's, he keeps it very simple but he's releasing the ball far quicker yeah. far faster and it's kind of crisp passing five yard passing or so whereas he was quite laboured I think in mm. previous regimes under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Raf Reinick and he basically became a bit of a liability in the team. Yeah. And then there was a question of, well, who's going to play right back at all? Because Diogo Dallo was inconsistent, had more going forward, but sometimes would have dire games. Whereas Wan-Bissaka was usually defensively quite uh, solid. Yeah. Offensively, you just weren't getting much from him. I think Ted Haig is kind of squeezing the sponge of Wan-Bissaka as much as he can in terms of an attacking threat. Mm. And what he's doing really is he's just playing very simple in my eyes. And even like Dallo, this season has been brilliant like before his injury and yet he's coming back from injury now and you're thinking, well, he's not going to get into this team yeah. with Van Bissaka playing like this. So all of a sudden, United have options. Well, what's your... OK, so Sunday, uh, Casemiro's out. Other than that, what's your team, if everyone's fit? Uh, There's Gea. options now, you see. Yeah, it's De Gea, Van Bissaka, Varane, Martinez, Shaw. Yeah. Fred, I, I'm loath to say McTominay. Like, I, I really don't Why? think... I just don't think... Look, you can have a big game in, in big games against big teams often, but... Um, You'd have Fred and McTominay. Maybe Fr- maybe Fred and Eriksen. Yeah. Bruno in front of them. You've got, what, Rashford out right, or, or Rashford at left, Anthony out right and Weghorst up top. And would you start Weghorst again? I would, yeah. He'll come into it. Like a, yeah. he, he was quiet enough last night, a few nice touches, but, mm. you know, had one header that just went over the bar. But, uh, like, it was For quiet enough. options now. Yeah, yeah well, that's Along it. I mean, that's case. kind of the emphasis of it. Like, you know, just the temptation to play... Alejandro Ganacho on the left and play Rashford through the middle. Well, Anthony, Anthony's the the big question mark for me at the minute in that that eleven that I just named because he's he's very very hot and cold, isn't he? Well, fans seem to be getting on his back because he's so incredibly one footed and he just goes to his left foot the whole time. Mm. So much so that he slows attacks or certainly counter attacks when it's on his right side. Yeah. But I remember and like Antonio Valencia being murdered for not putting on his left foot. 
he was the most right-footed player I've ever seen. So much so, I was like, it's remarkable that this player has le- made it to this level of the game because <laughs> he's so unbelievably one-footed. Like, yeah. Like, and there, there wasn't so much said about that because I suppose he was a converted right-winger to a right-back. So maybe the expectation dwindled a bit about his attacking prowess. But with Anthony, it's, I personally like him. Like, I think he, you know, his debut against Arsenal, he scored. He's, um, he's an incredible technique. That 25-yard screen he scored there a couple mm. of weeks ago. Uh, if he just um, if he just brought the ball forward a bit more because he went on a run yesterday in the second half, picked up the ball just inside his own half and just kept on sprinting until Chris Richards, the American um, centre-half for Palace, making his full debut, tackled him. That's what you want to see more of. Yeah. Direct Anthony. He 100%. can do it if he wants. He's a, bit, he's a bit too indirect at times. Yeah, he needs to take players on for sure. Uh, we will talk to Andy Mitten from United We Stand on the show this morning as well. Get more in-depth on Manchester United. It's probably a good time to mention what's coming up on uh, the rest of the show this morning. So we'll, uh, at five past eight, chat to Aidan O'Mahony. He's retired completely from Gaelic football now. Rath Moore, of course, winning the All-Ireland Intermediate Club Championship last weekend. Uh, so we'll chat to Aidan about his extraordinary career. Andy Mitten, as I say, will join us at 8.15 to reflect on United's draw with Palace last night. A virtual insanity with John Duggan at 8.35, uh, looking towards the uh, golfing weekend and the, uh, the tips and the odds. Ken Doherty will join us, the 1997 World Snooker Champion, for his You Had to Be There segment. So he picks out five sporting moments and performances that he's seen in person. Um, the five that stood out for him, essentially. And then at 9.15am, we'll be joined by Ian Keatley, the former Munster and Connacht and uh, Ireland fly half the Irish uh, squad for the Six Nations due to be named around about 9am this morning so we'll bring you the squad as soon as it's out and then reflect 10 or 15 minutes later with Ian Keatley and from half past nine it'll be Matt Slater uh, on the show as well Um, Mick McCarthy back in management or appears he's being linked certainly uh, to being back in management with uh, with Blackpool. So Michael Appleton was sacked yesterday. Uh, Blackpool haven't won a game in the Championship since October 29th, so in a very, very poor run of form. Uh, just four points from a possible 30. They're 23rd in the Championship, so second from bottom, uh, in serious danger of uh, being relegated to League One. Uh, just six wins from 27. I couldn't believe Mike, Mick McCarthy's been out of management since, what, was it October 2021, we were yeah. saying? Yeah, Cardiff. It's mad, but uh, yeah, it, se- it feels like a perfect fit for someone like Mick McCarthy. Yeah, a lot of experience in the in the championship, you know, um, and you need that. I feel, mm. you know, it's very different. Just feels like he's around for forever, doesn't it? It, it really does. Like um, <laughs> I was looking up his age, and I couldn't come into it, but like he's he's actually only sixty three. Like he's yeah, 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 it just feels like Mick McCarthy has been around a long, long time. Um, but yeah, he could be a good fit, you know, um, a well experienced manager. You know, that would be fresh new ideas for players, and yeah, they're in a bit of a. Um, bad situation at the minute so yeah he could bring a lot of freshness to it but yeah Mick he's uh, yeah he definitely has the credentials you know he's been there he's done it and especially in the championship Of the eight of the eight uh, clubs slash countries that Mick McCarthy has managed how many how many can we name? Oh wow jeez Are they eight? So he's, he's managed eight uh, clubs or countries of course uh, Okay how many can you name? Many of the eight can you okay. name? Okay Millwall Yeah Sunderland yes. Yeah Wolves Yeah Apoel Good answer Cardiff mm-hmm. Ipswich Yeah How many do I have? You've got six so You're only missing uh, Ireland Ireland Sorry There is seven You've got them all Sorry, Ireland twice cause of course I was like the, I've no clue Who was the last it one It was the two spells with Ireland That was pretty quick Yeah Ireland pretty twice um, Yeah I mean It's kind of what could have been With making his latter Latter part of his career Like I know Gerald has like very strong opinions About what he thinks of You know Mick as a manager And, mm. and all that And I would be kind of uh, Not kinder But I I, I saw what Mick was doing like look we're all things in a two world cup I do anyway whenever I think of Mick McCarthy and what he did <laughs> what but I'm not, I'm not talking about Saipan I'm talking about what he did with the team and I thought what was very clever was he put 
uh, Damien Duff and Robbie Keane up front together because that was their two biggest threats mm. and then there was two banks of four behind them yeah. so we had our own Kev Kilban on one wing and Jason McAteer on the other Matt Holland Mark Kinsella like it was very solid mm. so I let the two lads up front flourish so I thought he, that was tactically quite clever but at the same time against Spain the last 16 an extra time Spain were down to 10 men and it, go was, it wasn't noticed yeah. so <laughs> there's that other side but look I think Ipswich probably made the mistake of getting frustrated with Mick because he brought them too much solidity mm. and not enough ambition but like ever since Mick left Ipswich they've been a shadow of what they were as a steady championship side so uh, for Blackpool it's a smart appointment and they're probably looking at what he did with Ipswich in that spell to think like we just need someone to stay the ship like you, you listed it there Shane their stats are horrific for the season Blackpool yeah. second from bottom haven't won since the end of October and if it's a contract till the end of the season it's like um, you know Big Sam was the troubleshooter of the Premier League and Mick could play that role in the Championship It's funny how a manager changes an attitude like you feel like taking over a team second from bottom of the Championship is a dangerous job but then all of a sudden if someone like Mick McCarthy as you say actually with his experience is taken over you fancy them to stay up regardless of their form you're like well, uh, he'll steady the ship he'll sort it Yeah and for the likes Trust of Mick him. coming in he's probably thinking it can't get much worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, can only, only go up. up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic way to fantastic way to go <laughs> to a job. Like, it's rock bottom here, and I'll, I'll yeah. start it out. Like, and sure, yeah. no matter and what I, we and do. And if I don't, sure, I look at the club as a mess. Like, so it was anyway. So yeah. It's a, it's a great shout. Yeah. I just got a, a notification on my phone there as a reminder. John Mulaney. I'm going to John Mulaney tonight. Oh, the, the American the comedian. comedian. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Live writer in the ah. Olympia. Very excited. He's Very recognisable face for people who don't don't think they know him. You'll, I don't think I know. You'll probably know his face. I'd say he's good. Like. Where's he playing the Olympia? Yeah. Oh, that's nice and compact as well. It's or not a free Olympia. Yeah, it's interesting. Three Olympia. Olympia. The Three Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that'll be interesting. That'll be good. That'll be good. That'll be good. Good, good comedy good. gig. I went to Neil Delamere myself recently as well up in Armagh uh, with the mother. So, Is it hard to go out to the gigs during the week and then you're battling getting up the next day? You just don't have a... You're good at it, Shane. Yeah, I've done it quite often. I'm on a dry January at the moment. Still, okay. what am I, 19 days in and still going strong. Fair play. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've done that before, gone to gigs and you have a couple of pints and then you get up for the show the next morning. I remember being at a gig one time, uh, it was a Fontaine's DC gig recently enough, before Christmas, in Vicker Street and was queuing up for the cloakroom and met a couple of off-the-ball fans in the queue in front of me and I had a beer in my hand or whatever and they were like, you're... Are you presenting tomorrow morning? And I was like, I am, yeah. And they were like, you're, you're having a drink? And I was like, yeah, but sure, like, it's only a pint, I'll be, I'll be grand. <laughs> you know, you, you, when you're young, you got to, I mean, we're okay, Ashley. Call him your... You're getting to those dying days. Uh, well, why? Well, no, 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 we're not, not going to reveal any truths, yeah, but yeah. I don't so think... Young, actually, I don't think... Uh, <laughs> we obviously aren't, if we have to hammer this yeah. home every time we're on. Unfortunately, you're on your own category there. We're in a different category to you. No, so, oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you have uh, full accuracy... Uh, numbers here on everyone's age. Well, compared compared to uh, the uh, the Jers and the Nathans and the Adrians uh, yeah. of this world, well, that's, 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 oh, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, we're a different stuff. different category, yeah. but they not quite yours. You're the dying days of those days, so enjoy them. I'm the dying embers of my twenties. Doesn't have, have to be dying days, Colin. No, like, no, no. What fair. you hit your thirties and that's it. You no, know, you just do it in a different way. Does anyone There's watching this morning? Strategy. I'd love to uh, hear your advice for turning thirty, and and even though for turning forty, maybe for for some other people as well. Do you know what what way do you get around it? What what, what how do you be okay with it? Massive party. I told uh, you. Just have a big, big gaff party. Yeah, you need to have a massive party. All right. Mm-hmm. I'll send you something about it afterwards. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have thanks. something I have something very specific for you. Oh, about the, about turning 30. Ideal. Yeah. No, I love that. Something to enjoy. But something to look forward to. Excellent. At 10 a.m. Oh, to be yeah. honest. I, 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 Besides the rest of the show. Yeah, I'm not yeah, afraid. It actually, it really is. There's, I'm going to send you something and it will, it'll change everything. Just remember, a birthday is just another orbit around the sun. Do you know? That's all it is. <laughs> We're just floating on a big ball of rock through space, guys. Yeah. Know? Don't worry about anything. 
picking Bob a big Marley's ball of rock. Talking about space, not even eight o'clock. Ah, fantastic. Um, I've got it all in. I'm just waiting for snooker. Ken Doherty on yeah. the teeth. We'll take that It's on off. the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of other sports, yeah. um, watching the tennis here, we have it on in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caroline Garcia. Against uh, Leila Fernandez, who lost to uh, um, Emma Raducanu in the 2021 US Open final. Yeah. Um, oh, very, very tight game here we have it in studio. We're lucky enough to have this TV in studio. Yeah, it's fantastic. Element. It's great. We never get much um, sport in the mornings. But the, probably the big headline from the Australian Open so far is the top two seeds in the men's side are out. Rafael yep. Nadal yesterday and Casper Ruud today. Mm. Ruud made two Grand Slam finals last year. The French Open and the US Open lost them both. Lagans Jabeur on the women's side. And uh, the curse of Breakpoint continues because Casper Ruud, once again, he's another person who features in that documentary and he's out as early as this midway through I mean, the first week. I don't know what it is about that documentary, but the big curse. Do you know when you see someone coming from like 10 metres away and you, you open the door for them and they run, jog towards the door and you let them through? Yeah. So everyone in the men's side of the draw is the person holding the door open and Djokovic is that guy who's just jogging through. Yeah. He's, yeah. Just, he's going to saunter to this single style. I've heard he? the word procession said more than once in the last 24 <laughs> hours and it worries me a bit. The only hope I have is um, a revitalised Daniel Medvedev mm. who's reached the Australian Open final twice and he's a Grand Slam champion. He beat Djokovic in the US Open final the same year as um, Radicano beat Fernandez here. Right. That's my only hope. And then, but like, the likes of, say, Stefano Sitsipas, it has never trust him to finish it. He's been mm. to one slam final also against Djokovic, the French Open, last that, after being two sets up. Yeah. And he lost it. Then you have the returning Alexander Zverev from injury. He's plainer. He's two sets to one down as we speak. Then Dominic team, like, the sad demise of team after winning the US Open 2020. He's barely played since and he's already out. So, yeah, you're losing options. Felix Auger Aliassime, who's um, actually coached by Tony Nadal, Rafa's uncle. Right. Uh, that, that's a featured episode in Bray Point, and it's actually, that's really fascinating, right? They played each other, uh, Auger Aliassime and Nadal, at the French Open last year. Mm. And Tony Nadal outwardly said to the media, he's like, oh, I'm supporting Raphael, supporting my nephew. But he was coaching Auger ah, Aliassime. Yeah. And he was like, like no, I'm going to support Raphael. And then everyone was like, you, you can't say that. So instead, he uh, stayed away. He just stayed away from the match. This there is like we Jerome go. Johnson. This is Jerome Johnson Kilku. That's over. like him going no? to the match and saying, "I'm supporting Kilku." <laughs> yeah. As the Valley Bay manager, I'm supporting Kilku. Nah, sure, geez. that was the case. I don't think he went to the game. Yeah, that's probably yeah. why. Or uh, did he? I have no clue. Yeah, I'd forgotten. Team was was knocked out as well. Colin actually, yeah. yeah. So Rublev six three six four. And Nadal, it's a case of I think he's out six to eight weeks, isn't it? With yeah, injury. Like it's it's the hip and. It's like that's, like that's the, I, every time we mention Roy Keane somehow, but that's the injury that ended Roy Keane's career, and it could be the, it could be the it could be the injury that finishes uh, the iconic Spaniard. But yeah. it's sad, like because he won it last year, and uh, I have great memories of last year. I was quarantining in Mexico watching that final between Nadal and Medvedev, and it was one of yeah, the best matches I've ever seen. And uh, he's out already, but like the thing about that match against Mackenzie McDonald was for the first set and a half, McDonald was just better. Nadal was fit, yeah, and McDonald um, targeted Nadal's forehand and. Basically, and it's actually covered in break point is the way, the only way to beat Nadal is you have to be proactive and you have to attack him. You can't wait for him to miss because he doesn't miss. Yeah. So you really have to go for it. And that's mm-hmm. the difference between all these elite players is that they're not afraid to take risks. So you have yeah, to take yeah. risks against them at, at the risk of embarrassment. But then the payoff is McDonald's. And then anyway, halfway through the second set, Nadal is just in a world of trouble with the hip. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you go back to the morning of the quarterfinal of Wimbledon last year. Nadal was having the best year ever. Won the Australian Open, won the French Open, was on his way to a Wimbledon final and then plays the quarterfinal against Taylor Fritz. Really should retire injured but insists on continuing. Mm-hmm. Wins the match and then withdraws from the semi-final which allows Nick Kyrgios to go to the final which was so unfair to Taylor Fritz. Yeah. I mean, and since then, since then Nadal hasn't really been fit like, and 
his form US Open he lost <coughs> to Francis Tiafo and he's lost more than he's won since then which is a remarkable statistic when you're talking about someone like Nadal and I just fear for him when he's walking off the court yes, or, yeah, was it yesterday or the day before against McDonald and um, he's just limping away like and you just it's hope sad. that's at the end yeah but because obviously it's his latter years and he obviously wants to go out with a bang mm. you know he wants to win that major tournament yeah you know that's the dream isn't it he wants to get over the line yeah. one more time he'd and love to see it oh god love to see it yeah but it's just harsh to see it now that he's he's out again exactly um, Dominic Team is my favourite player you know what they say there's no I in team but there is in his name T-H-I-E-M right. yeah <laughs> we get me code yeah, that's good. For good first question I'll take for him. Over. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, you can take it. He might bat it away like Michael Olise, though. But it's, it's, it's worth it. It's yeah, worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's worth it. And then on the women's side, I think Iga Sviantek, mm. world number one, she's so dominant. I'd love to see Anja Burr do it. Yeah. She got to two finals last year, like Rude. Uh, lost them both. Again, features and break point. Uh, very charismatic player. Really, like, um, such a difficult player to play against, by all accounts, because she's so, un- so unpredictable in her yeah. shot selection. She loves love the job shot. Yeah. So I'd love to see Jabert do it, but I think Sviantek will. Uh, briefly, Ashley, you were presenting uh, Manawsom last night. There was some fascinating guests, some some great stories as well out of them, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was in uh, Rascals Brewing in Inchicore. Um, brilliant venue. Like, it Is was it, yeah? packed Wednesday night, January. Class. Packed. I walked in and was like, whoa, okay, the nerves are <laughs> kicking in here. But yeah, it was a great lineup. I had Louise Quinn, Ashling Daly, Roshi Upton, and Sarah Byrne. So really good lineup, and it was just celebrating women in sport, women in Irish sport. It was off the back of the success of the Irish women's team mm. qualifying for the World Cup. So there was a lot of talk about that. And I suppose we just chatted about the, the differences from when they started out in sport to now. And it's unbelievable to actually see the difference. There's a world to go, don't get me wrong. Yeah. There, there's loads we still can do, but we do have to look at the positives and you know, Louise and Roisin sort of talked about, and Ashling as well, like when they started out to, to now, like it's a world apart, you know. Um, Ashling Daly, MMA fighter, you know, unbelievable athlete. And she just spoke about like she was going for title fights and how they would do photo shoots and, you know, they'd be incorporating ball gowns and the gloves and mm. sometimes fur jackets and the gloves and nothing else. And... Yeah, just things like this that she had to go through. Um, she spoke about doing an interview ahead of the, the title fight and they spoke to her about if she was seeing anyone and then the headlines in the paper afterwards were looking to find her, her Mr. Right. Ah, uh, here. You know, so it's, it's just... spun like... Yeah, and even Louise Quinn spoke about her time in Florence and, and how the, you know, the culture was so different over there and... They were told that at times when they were out on the training pitch, you know, if the, the men's team are out here too, you know, you're not to wear your shorts. You have to go and put your tracksuit bottoms on. For what reason? That I have no idea. bonkers. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I sort of was sat there a little bit taken back and like Louise was at Florence, like I'm pretty sure it was 2021 20, or so. So like, This isn't like, we're not talking 20, 30 years ago. This yeah. is like very recently. Yeah, it really But is. not to distract the fellas on the pitch so the, the women's team couldn't wear... Yeah, yes. and that was a cultural thing. Like that's n- not going to happen here. Like I would, I would hope not. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely been been changes. But it was eye opening to hear some of their experiences of what they've been through. And even when they started out, there was there's a lot, a lot of them didn't have women's teams. You know, they they joined the men's teams, and um, that's all changed now. So we sort of we spoke a little bit about that and how from 2017 when there was the the big walkout with the girls in the mm-hmm. FAI to being qualified for a World Cup in 2023. So there is a lot of positives and we celebrated all that and sort of talk about, talked about, I suppose, the progress that needs to be made as well. So 
brilliant night yeah it was really really good really informative and engaging and mm. a lot of the audience as well asked questions and got involved and yeah really enjoyed it Roisin Upton you said was it from the, the women's talk I remember she was one of the, the, one of the standouts wasn't she like, from that 2018 she was absolutely um, what an athlete. She's still doing it, and I suppose it's been a bit of transition with that Irish hockey team at the minute. There's a, a lot of girls that came up for the last World Cup last year to to get their debuts. I think it was five new caps in there, like making their their debuts at a World Cup. You mm. know, she was sort of saying, "Jesus, you know, girls like for years we're trying to get to a World Cup, and then here you have these girls <laughs> come up and make their debut." But look, it's the way it happens, and they've got the experience at the top stage, so it, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, so she's excited for the future there. She said it's a bit of a transition period at the minute, but yeah, and, and Sarah Byrne as well. Um, you know, she was at the Special Olympics 2011, 2015, silver and gold medalist. Yeah, you know, what a character. Yeah, she was brilliant last night. She plays for the Oblates basketball team in Inchicore now. Right. And a few of them were there and yeah, it was it was good crack and yeah, she's she's a brilliant talker. She definitely was telling us the stories and had everyone engaged. So yeah, overall a great night. It's been released as well, will people get the chance to see it? Yeah, it's gonna go out on air from tom- I think or it's Friday evening, Friday. we hope, yeah. So yeah, we'll have it up online once it does. Ideal. We'll keep an eye out for mm-hmm. that. Uh eight oh six AM on this. Thursday morning is what hmm. to be. I'm right in saying Thursday morning, yeah? Thursday, yeah. That's yeah. why when I said Friday evening, I was like, is tomorrow Friday? <laughs> you lose track. You yeah. do lose track. Here's a here's my theory on days, right? I, um, <laughs> He's got a theory on days. I don't mind Mondays. Right. Okay? Because there's no expectation of a Monday. It's clean. You're starting from scratch. Everybody's in it together, right? It's You couldn't be further away from the weekend, but there's solidarity among that. Mm. I would uh, argue that Tuesday is the worst day. Hmm. Tuesday is like everyone's a bit cranky on a Tuesday because where are you on Tuesday? You're in no man's land. Yeah, purgatory. You're too far away from the weekend that just occurred and you're certainly too far away from what's coming. Mm. So you really got to you got to be doing what you love in work to justify working Tuesdays. Yeah. That's the ambition, right? That should motivate everybody to end up doing what they actually want to do with their life because Tuesday morning is unsympathetic. See how you feel on a Tuesday. It's unsympathetic. Right, you're going to get no mercy from a Tuesday. Look at your look at your calendar. Look at your meetings. Well, it's Tuesday always is, um, packed. Tuesday, Tuesday right? is an, an animal There's a bit object, of an edge man. with everyone. A bit of an edge. And I would hasten to say that my favorite day of the week is Thursday, because Thursday you have the anticipation of the weekend. Whereas on Friday it's all happening too fast. It's all happening too fast. We've already started. Slow this down. I think Colin has lost down. the plot. Um, <laughs> oh look, at I just Tuesday is my day off a lot of the time. It's my it? weekend. Yeah, I Monday, have Tuesday. I have a lot of sympathy for that as well. Tuesday. You just said Tuesday is the worst day to work. Yeah, but I don't want to be off on a Tuesday. Because the thing is then <laughs> no, you're, you don't want to be off on a Tuesday. Yeah, you're, no sand, you're sandwiched in between Monday and do. Wednesday. Then so you're back in on Wednesday. I could go for pints on a Monday evening if you wanted. Yeah, yeah that's nice. That's a nice touch. That's a nice touch. That's a nice touch. Nice touch. Yeah. It's like it's a burbit off there, nice touch. So it's not happy Tuesday, Colum. No, it's not. Uh, but I'm I'm quite happy it's Thursday. I like a Thursday, do you know? Yeah. I find I find in January especially when you're doing a dry January. It's also Thursday and Friday. Dry January. Not same buzz. You've nothing to look forward to. Well, sorry, you, you have no work to look forward to and you can do things and watch football and, and uh, relax. That is your work, Shane. That is the work. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Can't even do that. Dry January. Not for me. You know, me because pop. the thing with dry January is like, as soon as the 1st of February hits, like you go mentally then. I'm so gonna, it defeats gonna, the whole purpose. No, then your I'm, liver's like, well, what are you doing? I'm going to try and adopt my January attitude towards alcohol into my drinking in February. So I'm, I'm going to try and, you know, Keep this this run going, but it's it's brilliant because you get better sleep. You're you're going to the gym. You're yep. running like I find it naturally enough. 
not drinking alcohol leads into other yeah, positive it's, things. Yeah, it's a mind shift. It's whatever way you look at it. Like yeah. for me, I never said I was doing dry January, but I just happened to be doing it. Yeah, fair. I haven't drank it. What uh, are we, 19? I, so I, I, I don't mind that. I mean, that's cool, but it's when people announce it, like it's this proud thing. <laughs> yeah, like, because then it's All right, all right. Uh, do you know what I mean? But it's like... Um, Conscious you're only fooling decision. yourself like because uh, you know, I'm telling you Shane I'm looking at the calendar here 13 days time you're going to go mental <laughs> I do have big I do have some weekends like I have an engagement party too my mates got engaged there recently and they have a party in the second weekend my uncle's 60th is yeah. the first weekend in February I'm like things are already stacking up they're in February up. here I mean Jesus Christ you've got <laughs> it's, it's tough <laughs> there's Valentine's Day as well which, which I'm not involved in but I mean any excuse so you'll probably go out and have a couple of drinks uh, you know what you see I had I had a hectic enough Christmas yeah. so dry January was more of a necessity in some ways than, than not and like, there's you know nothing what? happening really that's it you know, it's, it's a good you're month you're not missing out on anything so you don't mind yeah, not going yeah. out so like I feel Ireland there's like a lot happening from March onwards you know we're looking to Easter then it's summer so we've festivals we're out we've games we've GA all of that so we're just constantly out drinking if that's what you do Yeah. so yeah, January, if you can give it a rest. <laughs> For the I likes know. of you, Shane, because you're exactly. out quite a bit. <laughs> 100%. You just got to chill and look after the body every now and again. But I understand your view. Like, people who announce it, like like I've just done, don't do that. Take it from me. It's uh, You'll just get abuse from your, your colleagues. <laughs> so not worth it. Back in a sec. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Yeah, 13 minutes past eight on this Thursday morning's OTB and we'll go through <clears throat> a few of the uh, back pages, the sports headlines for you this morning. Uh, start off with the Telegraph. Moyes faces Axe if West Ham lose a six-pointer to Everton. Defeat by relegation rivals maybe the final straw for the Scott. Uh, David Moyes facing a sack if West Ham lose against Everton but could immediately find himself installed as favourite to succeed Frank Lampard. Saturday's game may be significant for the futures of both managers, with the Scott unlikely to survive a defeat. So, uh, on tender hooks, there is David Moyes' tenure at West Ham, apparently. Uh, Palace Stone United, De Gea beaten by Elise's brilliant late strike. And you have Emma Raducanu, uh, photographed in action in her second round match against the seventh seed Coco Goff in the Australian Open yesterday. Uh, Raducanu, of course, suffering with, with injury of late. She went out uh, on, in straight sets, 6 3, 7 6. And she says, 13 days ago, I was on crutches, so I know I can do better. Uh, we've got the Irish Sun. Um, in fact on the front page we've got Gary Lineker was the sex noise loud Gary yes was it hard to deal with yes but was porn prank hilarious yes did he know about it this is the, we, we kind of we. I mean we were standing on the show yesterday Nathan oh, right. was suggesting that maybe he did know it was the best um, planted prank <laughs> yeah. ever but then it was a YouTuber a YouTube prankster that apparently pranked okay because uh, so he did ask a few times I don't know if you can hear it at home yeah yeah can you, know? you hear it turn it yeah, up yeah yeah so he didn't know whether to even comment on yeah, it yeah yeah oh so funny uh, it was hilarious yeah fair. it's one of those pranks I actually saw a video on TikTok last night of the guy who apparently did it and him in action at home ringing the phone and literally doing the prank <laughs> no way having the best time ever oh, uh, him and his God. mates so I mean it was very, very elaborate, whoever they... Very well I done. Know, I don't know how they got the phone in there, but... No. They managed to, somehow. Uh, blame me. Pep holds hands up over mini slump, but knows the solution. Um, claiming he knows how to sort of, taking on a lot of the blame for Man City's recent results. Uh, Pat's the way to do it, lads. That's Palace 1, United 1 last night. The snooker 10 in fixed charge. Snooker was dragged into the gutter last night as 10 Chinese players were charged with match-fixing offences. Allegations including manipulating the outcome of results, approaching players to cheat betting on snooker and failing to report concerns to authorities. Uh, Yan Bingtao and Zhao Jintong, the high-profile names involved in that, it's a fairly damning indictment on yeah, uh, Chinese time. snooker. a lot of minute. big names in it as yeah, well. Yeah, 100%. And some of them were, were involved in worse, allegedly worse um, 
I guess, allegations than others because you know they're trying to entice other players mm. into it. And these younger younger Chinese players, in many instances, probably thinking we've no choice; we have to say yes. Uh, so it, it's very disgusting. Uh, so uh, look. Massive bans, no doubt, for the players if, if yeah. they're found guilty. You feel that as well. They wouldn't be looking into it unless they had hard yeah, evidence. 100%. So it feels like we're yep. going to hear a lot of more about this. Big time. There's something there for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, Mick set for tangerines. That's what we were touching on earlier. Blackpool set to turn to former Ireland boss Mick McCarthy as their new manager. Um, so we'll wait and see if that comes to fruition. Back page of the Times. Oli uh, says late strike stuns United Pep don't blame Haaland for our poor results again Pep Guardiola taking on some of the blame for himself Moyes one loss from the sack and crowd to hear VAR reasons referees at next month's Club World Cup including the English official Anthony Taylor will for the first time explain the reasons for VAR decisions to the crowd at the stadium and the TV audience so during a trial of the tournament in Morocco referees will relay their decisions via a microphone connected to the public address system, though their conversation with the video official will remain private. So this is an experiment which could be extended, apparently, to the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand this summer, if it's successful, and given a a go-ahead at the International Football Association board meeting in London, they are the game's lawmaking body. That's interesting. Like, VAR would just drive you mad at this point. (laughs) Can you enjoy a goal? I know. So the Rashford and um, Fernandes won at the weekend against Man United Man City. I mean the wrong decision in the end mm-hmm. but like you're sitting there you can't celebrate go- that's why I thought oh, you're, just yeah. you're like is he not celebrating because of VAR because I understand it's it, a free so. kick like yo. madness yeah complete madness <laughs> it was the same with Celtic as well last night like a few of their goals um, it was just consistently waiting to see you don't see them actually celebrate like even at home when you're watching you're on edge oh yeah. it's going far you're looking like oh, oh. yeah it, it just ruined the game takes away from it uh, we'll come back to some of the other papers uh, very shortly but at 17 minutes past 8 on Thursday morning's OTBM uh, delighted to say a very good morning to Andy Mitten from United We Stand morning Andy good morning uh, uh, look it, it was a difficult one for United fans last night because for the entire game you're thinking 1-0 win yeah you'll take it South London not an easy place to go uh, and then the last 10-15 minutes I mean between Casemiro's yellow card uh, the equaliser and then Casemiro's miss at the end uh, it wasn't a happy last 10-15 for, for Eric Ten Hag Andy No it wasn't you, you framed it exactly right everything was going to plan Manchester United were heading for a 10th consecutive uh, victory another clean sheet always tight at Sellers Park it was a big improvement on the last trip to Sellers last May final game of the season which was diabolical in the middle of Manchester United being in a, a run of seven consecutive away defeats. And your two points about Casemiro are right. His booking means he misses Sunday's big game at Arsenal, which is a shame because he's Manchester United's best player. And that chance at the end where it sort of spun off his thigh. Well, I think all of these wins, is, it, it, it's a nice feeling when your football team's winning. And you want more of it and you demand more of it. And United fans had a massive high after Manchester derby on Saturday. And reality struck last night. These things happen. It was a brilliant free kick. I think that Patrick Vieira's Palace sides always give Manchester United a difficult game. Last year at Old Trafford, it was it was a one nil. It was a really difficult match. They beat United in the last game at Sellers, as I've said. So, yeah, frustrated. But... After 19 games, Manchester United have got eight more points in the same stage last season. Um, but, 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 yeah, this is, <laughs> you're sort of thinking we're not in a title race and then we could be. We're up to second. Mm. And I'm like Googling 
live Premier League table just for sort of <laughs> evidence that Manchester United are indeed in second position. Yeah, it's been a while. Just to but then uh, that late equaliser pushed it back down to third. Yeah, took a bit of the sheen off it certainly for United last night. We, we should focus on some of the the positives before we maybe look ahead to to Sunday's game, Andy. Um, Aaron Wan Bissaka, he, he's like a new signing at right back. I mean. Uh, Wilfred Zaha you're thinking before the game last night and this is a man he knows very very well this could go one of two ways uh, but but all of a sudden I mean when, when Diogo Dallo was playing so well at the start of the season then the injury happened he's coming back now and you're thinking well he's going to he's going to do very well Dallo to get back into the team ahead of Juan Basaka he is there was a lovely quote after the game from uh, Wilfred Zaha where he was running towards goal and he sort of glanced behind and saw it was Wan-Bissaka chasing him and thought, oh no, not Aaron. <laughs> and they're obviously former teammates. There's been a complete turnaround. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, only last month in a friendly game in Cadiz, looked so rusty as Manchester United were taken apart in the first 15 minutes. And his prospects looked bleak. And I had two people saying to me last month, um, this club are in for him, that club are in for him, Palace were interested in him. I don't think Manchester United were intending to sell him because they needed him as cover, but is now the first choice right back, partly because of, of Delo's injury. It was a problem position for Manchester United. I think if you said to Manchester United fans which three positions uh, would be a priority, right back would, would still be one of them. But he played really well and he's been playing really well. He's always been very good defending. It's his final ball when he goes forward that's more of an issue. But he was one of Manchester United's best players. He was back home. Maybe he felt really comfortable in those surroundings where he did so well. South London boy, all his mates, all mm. his family are there. He goes back there a lot. That was part of the issue with him um, falling out of favour. But he's very much back in favour. And Ten Hag's done this a couple of times now. Players have, have, have lost the, the place. They've been told to go away, to focus. He's done it with Jaden Sancho. He's another one who returned to training this week. Mm. And he usually gets it right. He's got it right with Wamba Saka and good luck to the lad. Yeah, well, we, well, I think we spoke even last week about Rashford and how he, he he's completely turned things around. Uh, you know, Most informed striker probably in the Premier League at the moment. Bruno Fernandes is another one, Andy, who... You know, United fans have been frustrated by in the past because of you know iffy performances and go through patches of being great and then being fairly poor. All of a sudden, I mean, man of the match performances, you could say, in the last couple of games, he's been brilliant. Man of the match on Saturday in the Manchester derby, yeah. according to his manager as well. Mm. His manager gave some really nice quotes about him, which, which went out on Tuesday, talking about his importance to the team. Thought he took his goal really well. Uh, to put Manchester United ahead on the road to another victory, he can frustrate sometimes with his non-stop moaning, but you could flip that and say some of Manchester United's greatest players also moaned quite a bit, including one or two from the country you're sat in now. They've <laughs> been hugely successful. Yeah. So, yeah, good for Bruno. What United have got is five, six, seven players doing consistently well. Varane... Uh, Casimiro, David De Gea had a good game last night. Luke Shaw's playing well. Marcus Rashford, who you mentioned, has been prolific. Last night was the first time he'd not scored in a couple of months. Can't believe I'm even saying that because <laughs> he's never really been prolific. So that is all going into a pot with these really good ingredients. And the end result is that Manchester United are doing are doing really well. Look, the, the team we're always going to drop points and. 
they're going to lose games this season. It's going to happen. The manager's been really clear about that. This isn't his complete team. He's only months, not years into his job. But it still stings when, when it happens like it did. But then I'm sure it stung for Manchester City fans on Saturday. Mm. And even when United equalised, maybe even when Manchester United went ahead, I would have settled for a draw. <laughs> That's how sort of fragile I was thinking Manchester United's confidence was. So it was brilliant that Manchester United managed to hold on and to win that game on Saturday. Just when you're speaking about Eric Den Haag there, like he spoke afterwards last night. He said that, you know, he wanted them to be more rootless. We need to learn how to be more rootless and obviously missing out on that opportunity now to go ahead of Manchester City. You know, he, he wasn't happy. And I know this is quite a shift with they're going for 10 games in a row. Will it, will it have much of an effect on them, do you think, in their momentum going ahead? It could do because... His unhappiness might feed into them resetting and thinking, actually, we've got to be even better than this. That wasn't good enough. And they did have to be ruthless. He said that in the second half, there were chances. And a little issue for Manchester United is is a lack of a striker. Bout Vegas made his debut last night. He did quite well, according to his manager. Quite well is never really going to be good enough. But mm. come on, he's he's only had three training sessions with his new teammates. He'll get more chances and he gives something which the other strikers have, have not got. But United should have put that game out of sight, got that key second goal in the second half, didn't drop two points. And come the end of the season, those two points might be really important. It's looking really good for Manchester United in terms of top four at the moment. And I would have settled for that a month ago. But you get greedy, don't you? You <laughs> yeah. see your team winning, you think... Beat Arsenal on Sunday. Whoa, where's this all leading to? (laughs) Part of the joy of of sport and and supporting a team. And it's a nice feeling because it's been a while. Do you feel like United are in the title race, Andy? Like, is this a a case of, look, just keep the momentum going, secure that top four position, maybe win a a trophy in the League Cup or Europa League or whatever it might be? Or or do you feel like they are genuine? They're not going to openly say, yeah, we're definitely in the title race. But do you feel like the players and the manager believe they are? I'm probably more of your original mindset there. Top four, uh, win a trophy, FA Cup, League Cup's looking looking okay for Manchester mm. United. Not even reached the final of either of them yet. Long way away from that in the FA Cup. But United have not won a trophy since 2017 with that Europa League in, in Stockholm. Jeez, that's unreal. The more mm. the team win, the more you think it's looking good here. But deep down, I probably don't. But the more they keep winning, you you change all the time. You sort of in, your percentages all the time. Oh, you're in a title race. Yeah. Do you expect to win the title? No. <laughs> but then you don't want to write off your team, do you? Because they've beaten Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, all at Old Trafford. There's games away from home against all them teams. You're beating all them teams away from home. And United have already played City away and got hammered. Um, then you would be champions. You really would. If you can go to Arsenal at the weekend and win, then if you ask me the question on Monday morning, I'd probably say, yeah, absolutely. So little by little. little. Mm. I was thinking the other day, great, great to be in the top four, but then you're thinking, well, well, what what does top four mean? I can remember when second and third place was a failure for Manchester United. So it's baby steps, but... It's real progress for the new manager. Not been there long. Uh, he's really impressed Manchester United fans. Most of his signings have as well. 
not all of them. I think Anthony still causes frustrations, and I know they're working hard with him at Carrington to make him, him better. If Jaden Sancho comes back and is as, is as effective as some of the other players who've come back into the fold, then that will be like a new sign-in as well. What do you make of Anthony, Andy? Because he had that little moment with Bruno. The two of them had a few words exchanged at one point in the first half. They were all mates then, of course, when Bruno scores and they're over celebrating with each other. But he's been a bit hot and cold, uh, Anthony, of late. Like, will he come good, do you think? Is it just taking time to bed into the team? Because, of course, Ten Hag knows him very well. I do think he'll come good. He's He's only 22 years old. He's in the Premier League for the first time. It's a difficult league to play in. It's a very different league. A, to the culture he grew up in, in in Sao Paulo and playing in Brazil, and B, being Holland. And he's a street footballer, Anthony. He's, he's from a favela in in Sao Paulo. He, he's not going to do things by convention, and that can frustrate him as well. So when I said they're working hard with him, they're basically trying to get him to fit into what Ten Hag wants for this Manchester United team. He managed it at Ajax, and he hopes to do the same at Manchester United. The fact that he was prepared to push so hard to get him for so much money shows the faith which he has in that player. Every manager has a blind spot. I'm not saying he's got one with Anthony. I think if we're having the conversation in a year's time and we're saying the same thing, then it becomes more of a concern. But I think that every player should be given a year's grace when they move into an, a new league. But when you cost as much as he did, there's always going to be more scrutiny and more pressure on you. I think... Things like concentration are areas he's got to work on. He did make more passes in the final third than any player last night. Were those passes effective? Not really. He had the best chance or the best effort, yeah. uh, not rather than chance in, in the first 40 minutes. But I'm contradicting myself throughout because this isn't a, a seamless performance by Anthony. It's one area where he needs to improve. Even thinking of Casemiro when he first joined, you know, it, it took him a while to really bed into the team and Look at him now. I suppose Sunday against Arsenal, it's a it's a game they want to win, and obviously his booking last night means that he's going to miss out. So, how much of a loss will he be at the weekend? Well, he's the best player, so it's, it's definitely a loss. I'm just hoping that whoever is chosen, be it McTominay, be it Fred, feels almost stung by the talk around Casimiro missing, and they have a real point to prove and say wait a minute, I'm not a bad footballer either. Mm. And I've seen Fred be man of the match in Manchester Derby uh, games. Uh, but would I like Casemiro playing on Sunday? Yeah, he's, he's been so consistent. It's the way that he reads the game, his anticipation, the way he closes space down. He's good in the air. He has shots. I wish he would have had a shot in the 93rd minute rather than <laughs> with his foot rather than his thigh. <laughs> he, he's been an, an outstanding success. Um I just can't believe how many Manchester United fans doubted him. It, it frustrated me that because he was a proven winner for the best team in the world on a consistent basis. And I watched him loads. And, and I, I interviewed him when he came to Old Trafford on his, on his first day at the club. And he said, I want to come here. I want to play in England. I want to play the biggest club in England. And I believed all that. I, I looked him in the eye. I didn't think this is someone lying to me. Mm. And yet you had Man United fans going... He'll never come. Real Madrid don't sell the best players. Or after two weeks, um, he looks off it. And now they've completely changed their tune. I suppose as football fans, you're allowed to do that. I'm just glad that Eric Ten Hag saw the bigger picture 
and knew how good he was. But he was always good. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. He's one of the best players in the world. Yeah, but there was massive doubts, you know, when he first came. And even at the, the derby at the weekend, just seeing his passion wanting to get back on the pitch, you know, um, you definitely can, can see it in him. He wants to be there. And obviously the performances now at the minute are, are, are saying that as well. Yeah, he's brilliant. Look, fans are allowed to have doubts. Fans aren't the ones picking the team. If the manager listened to the fans, the team would have no players within six weeks because it'd all be sold. <laughs> mm-hmm. now, if you think of the times when Manchester United fans have piled up against De Gea would have been sold, Luke Shaw would have been sold, Wambasaka would have been sold, Harry Maguire would have been sold, Marcus Rashford would have been sold. Thankfully, you've got a manager and people at the club who take a, a longer-term view, who are working with these players every single day. Fred would have been sold. Scott McTominay would have been sold. You'd have no players left. Players <laughs> dip in and out of form all the time. And what Ten Hag has done is raise standards pretty consistently. He's got to do it with a couple more players. And because he's doing that, he's starting to get, get the wins. But players will have bad spells. Marcus Rashford will go six games without scoring at some point. Mm. Doesn't mean he needs to be sold. <laughs> because saw someone last night because he not scored last night. And really, you shouldn't pay any attention to what you see on social media. <laughs> it's all gone to his head. Oh, what? God. what? What's gone to his head? Yeah. This is the best form he's ever been in. You he's did. literally gone one match without scoring a goal. And you know, every single player in the world, the best strikers in the world, have gone matches without scoring. You do see some uh, some batshit crazy <laughs> views on like even yeah, some do. some people suggesting that you know Ten Hag shouldn't have played Casemiro at all because of the risk of him being yellow carded, which is which yeah. is ridiculous as well because you need to play your best players in the big matches. Like the the if you're Eric Ten Hag, Andy on on Sunday afternoon, who are you picking? Like I, not to to read into your mind, but I'm sure nine of the players are pr- pretty much well set for most United fans. I guess it's it's Anthony or Garnacho, and then it's as you say maybe Fred or McTominay that comes in. Who are you picking? Fred can do a really good man-marking job. Arsenal's midfield is exceptional. I thought Arsenal were brilliant at Old Trafford. You know, in the the game that they lost, I was Mm. really impressed by them. Um, McTominay offers um, uh, different qualities as well. I think it needs players like Christian Eriksen to to step up and and be at the best. Uh, Lissandro Martinez, it was good for him behind the midfield to have a first start in the post-World Cup at Palace. Raphael Varane's one of the best defenders in the world. So those players have got to add a little bit more to make up for the shortfall of Casemiro. Um, McFred, it, it, it puts dread into some Manchester United fans, but every squad needs players like that, really. And I've seen them have, both of them have very good games against very good teams. And as I said earlier, I hope they're stung into people thinking that they're not good enough and that, that they get man of the match. I hope Scott McTominay gets an 89th-minute winner and dives <laughs> into the away end at Arsenal on Sunday. It would be nice. Has um, it, The thing has struck me, even a few of my uh, the WhatsApp groups with mates, big United fans as well, and the mood is different. It's funny how football changes your, your mood. You know, When your team aren't going well, it affects your everyday life. Like, do you feel like yeah. a happier human being at the minute? No, notwithstanding last night, they dropped a couple of points, yes. But recently, just the fact that they're on such a good run. I mean, everyday life just, I mean, the the sky seems bluer, Andy, and, and everything just <laughs> seems better for United fans at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it does. And 
I think it's it's true of fans of any sport. I'm, I'm sure there's, there's Gaelic football fans or rugby fans in Ireland and when the team are doing well, you feel exactly the same. I had a massive high at the weekend after the Manchester derby. <laughs> it lasted until the 91st minute and it feeds into other areas of your life. Now I'm thinking it, it is also my job. You know, This is how I earn my money, writing about these things. And I'm also thinking... This is great, but you didn't actually do anything at the weekend. Why are you feeling <laughs> yeah. like this? You weren't on the pitch. Isn't it about time you grow up a little bit? You know, where, where I did a 10K run on Sunday and thought, yeah, you can be proud for that because you actually did it. <laughs> but, yeah. but, if we start course, thinking oh, like that, we can't. We're going to lose sight of sport altogether and our enjoyment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're too invested. Exactly. <laughs> you probably yeah. you probably ran faster as a result of United win. That's the, that's yeah. the point. But like even, and I'm sure there was a lot of people on on Sunday who uh, your your talk of the Devils podcast, Andy with uh, with Ian and with uh, Laurie and the lads. I mean, it, I'm sh- you lads probably see the metrics and the numbers, and and it, it's the same for ourselves as well. When I'm sure when United win a big game like a derby at like the weekend, the numbers shoot up. Everyone wants to listen to good news and happy stories. You know, if they lose a game, it, it, maybe people are maybe a little bit more reticent to, to, to listen to it but there is that kind of thing that when teams are going well everyone is on board with every single aspect of the club It, it works both ways uh, I think our biggest listens this season have been after the Brentford 4-0 defeat <laughs> right. so people are, trying to make, people are trying to make sense of it they're trying to get mm. guidance to try to find out what's going on and then at the weekend well you, you mentioned that, that podcast the one I do with Laurie Carl and Ian uh, that's the second biggest podcast in the UK at the moment so <laughs> For for, for 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 sport so it's absolutely flying the united we stand podcast which is very much inside the terraces speaking to fans there that's that we had our biggest ever uh, listenerships numbers at, at the weekend the first five minutes of that are just me recording as manchester united equalize and then then get the winner so i got lucky with that because the last time i tried it in october 21 everton got an equalizer and <laughs> You look at the breakdown of where people are listening and Dublin and Cork are like really high up there in terms of the cities where people are are engaging. So it shows Manchester United support is vast. And I I stood outside Old Trafford um, Saturday. I was at Manchester Airport Saturday night. I saw so many United fans on them flights going back to Cork and, and to Dublin and to Belfast in the north. And everyone was absolutely buzzing. Mm. And I'm just going to enjoy it because... There's been so many times when it's not been like that. Absolutely. Well, on, on that, Andy, just uh, finally, and, and uh, you've been great with your time, Mark Dunning on YouTube has commented this morning live, met Andy at Stansted Airport after the Arsenal-United game at the Emirates last season. Happier day for me than for him. He was an absolute gent. So there was a... <laughs> you made one United fan obviously very, very happy. I'm sure you meet plenty of them. Or an, an Arsenal fan, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So even they, yeah. they like you as well. <laughs> Well, I don't think every like Liverpool fan or Manchester City fan no. will be will be quite so generous. But I, I respect I respect football fans who watch the team. Honestly, if you go and watch your team, I I, I would respect you. And um, obviously, United fans give me a lot of feedback. But I do remember the Arsenal fan coming up to me, <laughs> and uh, yeah, lots of people at Manchester Airport on Saturday. But it's nice, isn't it? People are coming up and they like your work. They're not coming up to you and saying, you know you're a war criminal or whatever they're coming <laughs> up to you and saying and, and it's only football in it and people people can feel feel part of it and if it's making people happy in a world where so much bad is going on then then that's all great absolutely here here andy great with your time as always thanks a million
Thank you. Try to again soon. Andy Mitten there, of course, from United We Stand at 8.39am on this Thursday morning's OTB AM. Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Braeburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you. New Braeburn locations are popping up every month, so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn Coffee experience. Right, it's time for John Duggan's Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! Uh, I can't get used to, I can't get <laughs> no. used to that state. I'm sorry. I just can't. Do you uh, like it, John? It, have you ever seen Donnie Darko? Uh, with just this big rabbit. Uh, and it's kind of a psychedelic, a bit of a trip. It reminds um, me of, uh, of the Teletubbies. You know, the little ch- baby's face <laughs> in the sun? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's like the Marshmallow Man in... in Ghostbusters it kind of reminds me of just this big huge figure like a giant going around golf courses around the world so it's, it is a bit weird it's, it's fabulous bit, it's a bit trippy brilliant at the same time it's yeah. a bit trippy now um, so yeah this is Virtual Insanity and the reason why we do this is we've had 11 winners in the last two years and two profitable years the last couple of years mm-hmm. so uh, a bit of golf advice if you're going to have a real investment obviously uh, never bet more than you can afford and obviously this is a virtual slot didn't have any luck last week the headline tip was Carrie Connors uh, from Listowel in Canada and um, didn't have the look of the, the Kerry men last mm-hmm. week. He was tied for 12th, uh, shot outside the places. So we go again and we go again with the American Express Tournament in California, which starts today. Don't leave home without it. Uh, <laughs> so there are five players in the world's um, top seven in this this week. It starts later today. Scotty Scheffler, John Ram, Wazala Torres, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, among those players in the USA with Shane Larry and Seamus Power doing so well right this morning, uh, Power 6 under par and uh, Larry 5 under par at the Abu Dhabi after their opening rounds. That's great to see. So, But we're concentrating on the PGA Tour for virtual insanity this week. The pot 980 out of 1,000 and 20 euro virtually to be spent this week. So what we're going to do, the, the, this tournament is played at a resort, a desert course. So it's played in uh, California at three courses. Uh, the Pete Dye Design Stadium Course, the Nicholas Tournament Course and La Quinta Country Club. This is not the US Open, folks. You need at least over 20 under par to, to do damage here. You need to be making a lot of birdies. So um, we have the tournament beginning half four Irish time today. Be sure to shop around. A lot of bookmakers go on the fifth of the odds. The first eight places, some bookmakers go on 10 places. So the first selection is Cameron Young. Uh, for three euro each way at 20 to one. So it's a matter of when, not if this American player wins on the PGA Tour. Five times second last year, can go low, hits the ball really far, hits it long off the tee, was tied fifth going into the final round of this event last year. Cameron Young faded on the final day, but I do think he's a player that'll win very, very soon. And he could have won the PGA last year. He could have won the Open Championship. He didn't, but that maiden PGA Tour victory. Of all the principal names, Cameron Young for me is the one I think that might be the most hungry. Had a 64 in his last round on tour in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago. So Cameron Young, 20 to 1 for 3 each way is the headline tip. Then we have Sahith Thigala at 50 to 1 for 2 each way. This was the best college golfer in the United States. He qualified for the Masters by finishing in the top 30 on the rookie season on tour last year. Uh, was second uh, 
twice should have won in the desert in Phoenix last year and once again played well for three rounds in this tournament last year really good putter forget about the stats with this guy it's more about the natural talent and the feel of Sahith Tagal at 50-1 to one. the third guy is Adam Hadwin 55-1 to one for Canada two each way on him as well his record in this tournament is off the charts without winning so tied for second in 2019 tied for third in 2018 second in 2017 tied for sixth in 2016 Adam Hadwin had a top 10 on his last appearance and I think with the horses for courses argument he can definitely contend at 55 to 1. Denny McCarthy with the Irish name at 80 to 1. Uh, played well in Hawaii last week, was sixth in this last year, is a brilliant putter. The best putter on tour two years in a row, was second in the putting stats last year. Puts well on Bermuda Greens. I think Denny McCarthy's long game has improved. I think he can definitely win a PGA Tour event soon. And finally, 125 to 1 shot for a Euro each way, Lee Hodges who was the 54-hole co-leader last year in this event, um, only shot a 70 in the final round. But that kind of form kind of came out of nowhere. And I think with a decent enough rookie season last year, if he has some fond memories, Lee Hodges, of last year, he can definitely contend if the putts roll into the cup. So Lee Hodges, 125-1 to 1 for a euro each way. Two euro each way, and Denny McCarthy, 80-1. to 1. Adam Hadwin, 55-1. to 1. And Sahith Tagala at 50-1. to 1. But the headline tip on virtual sanity this week is Cameron Young to make us feel young at 20-1. to 1 for three each way positive alliteration I love it I love it John alright folks anything else uh, happened? We, we were chatting this morning uh, about the Michael Elisi free kick last night for Palace but we were also talking about Michael Elisi's uh, do you remember his interview after the West Ham game back in a couple of months ago where he gave one word answers he's one of these interviewees Marshawn Lynch style oh completely where he's like yeah Wilf passed me the ball shot scored and he's asked you know you must be delighted yep uh, he's just one of these Characters we were trying to think of other I was thinking, uh, good interviewees and bad interviewees. Remember the Brendan Venter interview? Oh, so, you know, the, the the rugby, yeah, South yeah, African rugby, yeah. yeah. yeah and he was, he was oh ha- yes, he was, yeah, having, yeah, a, he yeah, was yeah. having a laugh. It was Sirelli Bobo, Sirelli Bobo. <laughs> Sarcasm one hundred and one. Uh, yeah, I think there was kind of a uh, a bit of a prank that that, but it was always very very funny. Um, we were looking at positives as well. Isel Cody has uh, commented on the the uh, YouTube or the uh, Twitter as well. We were saying David Brady, uh, David Brady and Tommy Welch's shopping lists being read on air would get listeners. David, man says eggs, man says milk. I mean, it's <laughs> a fair point. There's some people you would just listen to saying anything, but yeah, those those post match interviews where you have to drag it out of people like it's a yeah. stone. Has it ever stone. happened to you, John? Obviously, you did a lot of games. Uh, I can't. I can't mention names. I've people walk. <laughs> I've had people walk away from me. All uh, oh, right. Uh, at interviews, just walk out. Yeah. Um. So maybe it's a reflection of my style or whatever. Um, <laughs> Nothing uh, to do with you, John. Surely. No. Disappointed in a loss, maybe. I remember somebody after an All Ireland final, and they were on the winning team, and they were the man of the match, and they were so intense. I nearly started laughing at them. Um. I, I kind of kept my laughter in, but it was almost like a nervous laughter. Um, they were like just really in my face and like telling me how amazing it was and they won the order on it. And, I, and I, I, was, uh, I, I just almost started laughing, but I didn't laugh, obviously. And you think with someone in a positive, happy moment like that, that they would be... But they were still obviously just wired into what had happened on the pitch for 70 minutes. But um, It hadn't sunk in, like you've reached the goal, you can relax now. Um, the, the best ones, and I'm sure you've done a few of these actually in the last couple of years, is the disappointed managers or after All-Irelands, mm. uh, when they don't want to talk to anybody and they traipse through just like, this is the last thing on earth. And it can be completely understandable, you completely empathise that the, they don't want to be doing interviews and they have to probably contractually or whatever. Yeah. And then it's trying to get the blood out of the stone Will they give you two minutes and will they give you actually an answer that's worth something, you know? Yeah, like that is the toughest part of the job. Yeah, I've yeah, always said yeah. it because I'm nearly crying with them because of the emotion of it all. And you're like, you have to do this. Yeah, you know, I need to get the interview. Yeah, it's, it's like, like it's like the sheepdog trials. You're trying to get that um, 
you know, so I don't see anybody seen that um, employee of the month thing on Twitter there with the the sheepdog going out into the into the field and getting all the sheep in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's on uh, it's on social media this week, but it's just will you just just gonna you know you know what how do you feel about it? Yeah, just yeah, you need to say fif- it in the right way. Give me that fifteen seconds of soundbite, mm. and then we can we can leave and we can leave you in peace. But um, yeah, I can't really think off the top of my head, but um, there are obviously some great interviewees and some ones that are are not so good. Um, but it's it's hard to think it's off the top of your head who are the the great ones and who are not. When you were saying about a, a manager that it was tough after a loss, Mick Bowen always sticks out in my mind oh, yeah. when they lost to Mead, twenty twenty one Mead's first All Ireland, and you know he was so good with his time. He came in, he said, "I'm doing one interview, one interview only." So that meant all printer in, TV, everybody's in. And I just remember asking the first question, and he just started crying, and I just oh. Said, oh. That's because he's looking at a smiling mead woman as well. <laughs> you were absolutely buzzing. I tears in my eyes because you, I honestly, I do, you feel it. You know, you're like, God, I'm, I'm sorry to have to do this, but I have to do this. You know, this interview with you, and oh, he's just devastated. He can't actually believe what happened, and that was what happened at that moment. He was in pure and utter shock of what had just <laughs> happened, and yeah, he just, yeah, he just couldn't catch his catch his breath, couldn't get the words out, and. It's tough at that moment to, you know, go about it in the right way. Yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack Nicholas always had a real three questions. I remember hearing stories of the person would go for the fourth question, or three questions. Also, Tiger Woods was in his days when he wasn't very uh, communicative with people, when he was at the top of his profession. Uh, you would get three questions, but you'd have to ask the question in a certain way. You can't just say, so you happy with your round? You go, yeah, really happy with my round. You'd have to ask him, well, how did, how did the round develop for you? Yeah. So that he would get then, you get a, a certain degree of an answer that he couldn't just yes or no it. Um, look, they're not obliged, these uh, sports stars, to speak, but I think that uh, Roy Curtis was on the panel there recently and, and he made a very good point that in the GA, I think, does itself a disservice by the fact that, yeah. um, you know, if you were to ask anybody to identify Limerick curlers going around, uh, now I know the helmets don't help and the helmets are necessary from a safety point of view, but if you were to ask like the layperson, who are the Limerick curlers? If you're to walk around Limerick, would they recognise them? Mm. They recognise Keen Lynch, maybe. Uh, but would they recognise the other 14? Maybe Gareth Tegarty. Um, but, uh, Declan Hannan. That, yeah. yeah, Declan Hannan. But, and, and that's not their fault. But I do think there is a publicity, there's, there's a marketing thing there with the GA. And I, I think there's a degree of paranoia from the managers. Let these lads speak. Let, let these ladies speak um, and, and tell their stories. Because I think when I, after they retire... You all often get the you know the beauty of their humanity and their stories and their their you know their in the their uh, the way they intertwine time with the community. Mm. Yeah. Um, too, um, too many of them are, especially in the GA, John. I think you know they feel almost on a afraid. leash. They're, yeah, they're afraid. They're, they think if they say something or go mm-hmm. cross a line, they won't be in the squad. Or the manager might see it and say, "Why did you do that?" When, when in fact, as you said, like it needs to be, the game needs promote promoting. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to get promoted if you have players who are just given the, the same superlatives and and cliches in post match interviews or pre game interviews. Now maybe it's getting a little bit better and like, you know proper access to players before the club finals, for example. You know the AIB put up players for interviews this week, but um, there needs to be more of that. And like I often find when I go out, they they'll say, "No, I'm not allowed." You know they've yeah. been told in advance. Who's allowed to what are they afraid of? Are we still in this position, like where they're putting the uh, what what's said by a player up in the opposition dressing room door mm. or a wall? That sounds like the biggest cliche of all time. Yeah, um, and, and, of. And, and, and 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 if somebody's going to perform in front of eighty, 
And, and if somebody's uh, going to perform in front of 80,000 people, surely they should be able to perform in front of a microphone. Fair point. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, I mean, you know, they're on the greatest stage of all. As soon as a microphone comes so in front it's, of them. Let, let's hear more about these people as people and what they're interested in, what their what their lives are like, and uh, how they're fitting into their communities. Because I think that can only do a good thing for the GA, which has six months, a year now, where it's ceding the floor to soccer and rugby. Mm. John, great stuff as always. All right, folks, brilliant Thanks, stuff. Eight fifty one a.m. on this Thursday morning's OTBM, and it is time for Ken Doherty's. You had to be there. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. I had to be there. Morning, Ken. How are things? Keeping well, keeping well. Um, you sent on your list yesterday, and Jesus, it's impressive. The one thing that jumped out to me straight away, in terms of your top five in-person sporting performances or moments, there's not one snooker match. Yeah. There's not one mention of the Crucible <laughs> or Ali Pali. You've left it out completely. Uh, well, I thought, like, you know, so used to go, seeing so many snooker matches, great snooker matches over the years. I thought, <laughs> you know, I'll just uh, keep away from my own sport and just... Uh, uh, tell you about some of the experience I've had in other sports, you know, watching other sports and watching some of the greats play. And I, some of our greatest sort of sport moments, uh, you know, for our own country as well, which is fantastic, you know. Yeah, it's not, I think, the, the common trait that we've we've had from people picking their, I think Tommy Welch did his last week, but it, it's it's a stressful thing to try and pick because for people like yeah. yourself who've been to so many sporting events, it's probably hard yeah. to narrow it down. Yeah, it was hard to know. I mean, I didn't put the the rugby in there. I was just looking through the list. I didn't put the uh, the Ireland England game at Crow Park, which was a very emotional game. Oh yeah. Uh, I didn't put uh, Chris Eubank or Collins in there down in Cork. Mm. And uh, and I think my first time at Cheltenham, which was a, a few years ago, I, I spent four days with Phil Tufnell as a as the Irish sort of uh, press brief cup captain. And that was that was a wonderful experience in itself, particularly just spending four days with Phil Tufnell, you know. But particularly <laughs> at Cheltenham, uh, we had a, a right out laugh. And uh, I think that was uh, that was one of the greatest experiences. I mean, uh, John Paris being out to Cheltenham for the last, like, 40 years. And I've never seen, like, I, I was only there once. And uh, he was there for the first days. And there I was in the parade ring picking up the Presbury Cup and he's watching it, <laughs> sitting at home on his couch watching it and he's looking at me, he's saying, Doherty, James, he says, Doherty you get where water wouldn't, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. been there for 30 years, he's never been, uh, he's never picking up any trophies in the parade ring but there was, there was my first time there and I'm picking up the Presbury Cup it was, uh, it was quite, uh, oh, it was amazing, you know? Isn't it Forrest Gump where he has all the photos behind him where he's everywhere and he's met all the presidents yeah. and he's been in every war yeah. and sporting events. It seems like you're, you're, you're not far off, Ken, but with, uh, with your list either yeah the lineup is so impressive <laughs> it's uh, well I mean I mean some of them I mean the fourth one we're going to talk about uh, yes we'll, ke- we'll kick know. off 1994 so Giants yeah. Ireland Italy yeah the Giants Stadium I mean I just you know it was 1994 we qualified for the World Cup it was in America they were playing in New York and then they were playing in Florida so I thought well great chance to go and watch Ireland play but also and particularly at the Giants Stadium in New York but also to have a little holiday you know mm. and um well, uh, you know, to go and see that match at, at the Giant Stadium and probably Paul McGrath's one of, well, well, he had so many, but that was probably his, his most defining. And uh, to beat Italy at the Giant Stadium, I mean, when we went there, you know, we we thought like, oh, it's going to be full of Italians, it's going to be very uh, small Irish crowd, it's hard to get tickets and stuff like that. And uh, when we arrived there, I mean, it was just to see a green. It was, it was a very small, it was quite the opposite. It was a very small amount of Italians there, blue flags or whatever. And uh, 
that the rest of it was just a sea of grey. And the atmosphere was electric uh, from start to finish. And Ireland, and that Ray Helton goal, well, that was just uh, one of the best goals uh, that Ireland had ever scored. And uh, against the giants of, of, of Italy and to beat them. I mean, the, the team that they had, I mean, Baggio was up front, you know, and they had such an array of wonderful, talented players. But Ireland just played them off the park. And it was just, a, it was one of those moments where, you, you know, as you say, you had to be there. You know? mm. I watched back the highlights last night and it was probably the sea of green that really struck me. <laughs> The, yeah. the scarves it was like everybody had a hat on this must have been the thing like everybody <laughs> yeah, was wearing yeah, yeah. an Irish hat and, uh, yeah it just really struck me I was like whoa that looks like a crack <laughs> yeah it was great crack and it was so hot there you know it really was very very hot the weather was was stifling um, but the goal I mean it came out of nowhere you know now, and you know just the way he chipped uh, Pagluga was it who was in goal mm. and uh, and then, uh, yeah, to just the, everybody went mad. It was just, a, it was sort of a carnival time and it was just wonderful to just to be there and experience that. And then to go on and, and hold them and for them not to score and, and get the win, it was just, a, yeah, it was a dream sort of come true for Ireland. It was a wonderful performance, you know. I'd, I'd forgotten, Ken, as well, that like, the goal from Houghton is after 12 minutes. So as you say, you know, yeah. Ireland had to hold on for, for a seriously, seriously long time against the Italians. Like that's not an easy thing to do either. No, not at all. And uh, that's why I was saying, I, I think, uh, you know, Roy Keane, uh, Paul McGrath particularly, the way he sort of held that defence together, some of the defensive headers and the tackles and everything. And uh, just to hold on for that for the rest of the 90 minutes, you know. And, you know, it was one of the most uh, famous victories I think we've ever had, without a doubt. You know, I mean, that in 1990, of course, as well in, in, uh, in Italy. But, yeah, just to... Uh, you know, to see that. And just, you thought it was like a home match. You thought you were in Lansdowne Road, you know, <laughs> at one stage. Uh, it was that good. And uh, yeah, it was just a real sort of wonderful party atmosphere. I managed to like, you know, you know, meet like, was, you know people around you, obviously I'm from Ireland and just having fun, singing songs and uh, they managed to, to get us on the bus. We jumped on the bus back to, uh, back to New York. We sort of bunked on their bus, basically. You know, they sort of, uh, took us in and we had a right L uh, we had a right L crack with them that night it was fantastic you know you would have been 24 or 5 so you'd, you'd have moved over to the UK at this point so yeah. this is 3 years before you win the world championship but yeah. so you, you went over from the UK I guess for just for the, the little mini break was that the, the thinking behind it? Yeah, it was just like, you know, the fact that it was in Florida, you know, you could go to SeaWorld and, the, you know, the water parks and, and see all that and have a week down in Florida and a week in New York. And uh, I remember checking into one hotel, the Roosevelt, uh, and it was an absolute dump it was, you know. <laughs> uh, it really was. So we had to we had to check out of there. I had to ring Eamon, Eamon uh, Dunphy, you know, because uh, he was over there as a journalist, of course. And he was staying in a, a beautiful little small uh, boutique hotel called the Elysium. And he, he managed to get us a room in there. So we managed to stay in there for the week, which was lovely. But uh, when we checked into the Roosevelt, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she cried her eyes out. You know, she said, how could you bring me to this place? Like, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, it worked out in the end and, and we had a great time, you know. Unreal. So you were in the bad books for a couple of days. but uh, <laughs> was, yeah. had to make up for it, yeah. Well, me a fortune, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> worth it, worth it. Uh, yeah, it was worth it. Worth every penny. 100%. Your, your second pick, uh, Ken, is... 1997 Old Trafford Manchester United against West Ham yeah. I was thinking yesterday so when you said this on I was like okay it was Eric Cantona's last competitive game for United so that's why it's yeah. memorable but I'm just thinking about the dates here so this was May the 11th and you had won the yeah. World Championship on May 5th 
So, yeah. for a number of reasons, this was special for you. This is only less than a week yeah. after you became I mean, world champion. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I mean, this wouldn't mean a lot to a lot of people who say, what, uh, Eric Cantor's last match? It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really about that, but it was just, it was a very special day for me because, um, yeah, it was six days after winning the world championship. Um, I got a phone call uh, from a number I didn't recognise and uh, I picked up the phone and, and the sort of the message went, it says, uh, hello, Kenny, uh, this is Alex Ferguson here. I know you're a big Man United fan. How about coming to Old Trafford and parading that trophy, <laughs> you know? And I thought it was one of my mates and I told him that, but I said, stop messing me, will you? Stop worrying me up, you know? And he says, Kenny, this is Alex Ferguson here. I'm not going to ask you a second time, you know? I said, I'm sorry, Mr. Ferguson. Of course, I'd love to go to Old Trafford, you know? And, and parade the trophy. Well, he brought me, I went over, arrived on the morning and uh, he took me into his office, showed me, they were collecting the Premiership trophy that day and uh, I got a lovely, he brought Bobby Charlton in and Martin Edwards and uh, I got some lovely photographs with, with the World Championship trophy next to the Premiership in his uh, in his office and then he brought me down to meet the players who were having their sort of uh, pre-match meal and uh, I walked down with the cup and he walked in and we had sort of the first team on the first table and the second team on the second table before all in the line, you know. <laughs> so I walked in, I'm standing at the door with the cup and he goes, gentlemen, he says, uh, Ken Doyle, big man, he's fan. He says, just brought his, his world championship trophy and he's going to uh, parade it at half time, you know. So they're all like, uh, you know, munching into their pasta or whatever and they just look around and they just like stare at me and nobody moved and I'm sort of I'm making eye contact with Roy Keane and Dennis Irwin who I would have met over the years to say you know are you going to come over and say hello I didn't know I didn't know whether to go to them or what was going to happen so I'm standing there and I'm start, the beads of sweat now are starting to drip down you know man, the, the cup is starting to get a little bit heavy in my hand and um, well next of all uh, big fella at the end of the table pushed the chair back walked over to me stood in front of me I'm looking up at him I'm like a little schoolboy, and he said to me uh, congratulations Mr. Doherty and welcome to Old Trafford and uh, I had a lump in my throat you know and I said so all I could say was thank you Mr. Cantona you know it was Eric Cantona I came over it was like quite a surreal moment and um, that was his last match that he played for United and I always say can't, I, I drove Cantona out of Old Trafford because when he saw snooker players coming to parade their trophy at Old Trafford, he thought, oh, this place has gone to the dogs, I'm yeah. out of here. You know? Screw this, it's gone. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't yeah, that yeah. unbelievable that Alex Ferguson, yeah. that's the way he was thinking before, such a massive game. He yeah. obviously thought that you were going to have an impact of, of bringing the trophy and seeing that you know, you've know you won yeah. the World Championship, that this would have an impact on the lads because uh, there's definitely yeah, reasoning it just, behind it. Yeah, I mean, it was, such a, it was such a nice gesture. Dennis Taylor gave him a number. I'd never met Alex before or anything like that. Dennis Taylor gave him a number he loves the snooker he was watching it all week he was willing me on and I think he had a bet on me as well maybe you know? <laughs> uh, even though I was playing Stephen Hendry but uh, yeah I mean it was, it was just such a lovely uh, lovely man and just made me feel so welcome and uh, walking out onto the middle of that pitch you know being introduced with the cup and my legs like were like jelly you know as I walked <laughs> out and it was quite funny you know like they're all they're all singing you know uh there's only one Ken Doherty, you know, and then of course all the West Ham lads, you know, they're all, they were up from London. Obviously, they're all singing. There's only one Ronnie O'Sullivan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the large so one, you yeah. can't you can't have it every way, but uh, yeah, it was a wonderful. I was just amazing experience. I was so lucky that year because I, I was invited out to the into Crow Park for the um, the Dublin Maid uh, Leinster final. I was invited 
out into the middle of Lansdowne Road for a World Cup qualifier against Liechtenstein, I think it was that year. And uh, I was invited out to Celtic Park as well uh, once. I was invited out to Celtic Park for the halftime draw. And uh, unbeknown to me, John Higgins was in the, he was in the Celtic end, like, because a big Celtic supporter, you know? And he didn't know I was being invited out. Oh, around. He, was, he was just sitting in the crowd with his brother, you know, at the match. And he rings me up. He says, I can't believe I'm sitting in the crowd. He says, there you are coming out into the middle of the pitch. You don't even follow Celtic, he says, you know? <laughs> Oh, it's a yeah, real Celtic thing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. So that was a, it was a very special day that Old Trafford, um, that Old Trafford moment, and of course it was Eric Cantona's last match as well. You know? That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's six days. It was six days previous, you'd won the World Championship, and six days later, I think Cantona shocks the world. Certainly shocks United yeah, fans yeah, with, yeah, the, yeah. with his announcement, his uh, retirement. Yeah. Uh, just a, a quick tangent to mention: there's a, a, an announcement that's come in from the IRFU, Andy Farrell's uh, Irish squad for the. 2023 Six Nations Championship is in and one uncapped player named in the squad we've got Leinster's Jamie Osborne who has made it uh, first integrated of course in November 2021 as a development player he's since featured for the Emerging Ireland and Ireland A teams so just to quickly mention the scrum or the, the scrum says I the, uh, the squad in its entirety starting with the scrum halves you've got Craig Casey Jemison Gibson Park and Connor Murray the out halves named are Ross Byrne Jack Crowley and Captain Johnny Sexton the Irish centres Bundy Aki Stuart McCluskey Jamie Osborne and Gary Ringrose the outside backs named in the squad by Andy Farrell are Keith Earls, Mac Hansen, Hugo Keenan, Jordan Larmer, James Lowe, Jimmy O'Brien and Jacob Stockdale. The props are Finley Bealham, Tyke Furlong, Cian Healy, Dave Kilcoyne, Tom O'Toole and Andrew Porter. Three hookers, Rob Herring, Ronan Kelleher and Dan Sheehan. The locks named Tyke Byrne, Ian Henderson, Joe McCarthy and James Ryan. And the back row named by Andy Farrell. Finally, Ryan Baird, Jack Conan, Gavin Coombs, Caelan Doris, Peter O'Mahony, Cian Prendergast and Josh van der Freer, we will chat to Ian Keatley in around 10 or 15 minutes' time on that squad its entirety. Back to, you had to be there with uh, with Ken Doherty. Ken, another uh, massive pick uh, for you here, and it's it's quite obvious why you've picked this one. What a moment for Manchester United fans. The new camp, May 1999, May 26th, yeah. it was, against uh, Bayern Munich, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's last gasp heroics. Uh, where, where were you sitting in the new camp? Well, believe it or not, I was sitting um, not far from the corner flag uh, in the second, you know, where they actually scored a goal. So, uh, yeah, we were like a good few rows up. I mean, the, the new camp is such an impressive stadium. It's absolutely massive. It was packed to capacity. And uh, we had really good seats, you know, in, in, in the United end and, and right close to where that corner, where Beckham took that corner, mm. in both corners, you know. It was... Uh, yeah, it was quite uh, amazing. I mean, I was lucky to get there, to be honest. You know, I was going with a, a few Man United supporters from London and I travelled over from Dublin. And uh, back in 1999, you know, years ago, you didn't need your passport or anything like that travelling to London. You know, you, you just didn't ever ask you for any idea or anything like that. So you could try. And of course, I was so used to going hopping back and forth to London and England without my passport that... I was so excited about going to Barcelona to the Champions League that I forgot about the flight, you know, going from from Gatwick to Barcelona, and I forgot my passport. Would you believe, you know? <laughs> so it was only when I landed in Bar- in uh, Gatwick that I had no passport, and of course I was connect. I was getting a connecting flight with all the uh, with all the supporters. So uh, fortunately, um, unfortunately, I mean, I missed the night there, but it wasn't the day in question. It was like we were going sort of a night before to have a night out in Barcelona. And uh, I was very, very lucky. Uh, my brother got my passport from uh, from Renla, dropped it out to the airport, and one of the hostesses from Aer Lingus 
who was on the next flight, uh, he, he dropped to the desk and he said, yeah, yeah, we'll take his passport over for him. So they were very kind. She, she came over, met her at, at, at arrivals. Uh, but I missed the night in Barcelona the previous night, which probably... In hindsight, wasn't a bad thing because I might have missed it. I might have missed the game itself, you know. Yeah. But uh, uh, the game was uh, quite incredible. The atmosphere was electric. We were absolutely, you know, we were absolutely battered for eighty minutes mm. uh, until those last uh, those last ten minutes were just. Uh, it was just uh, uh, quite incredible, you know. All fists to the pump, and they just threw the men forward and got the corner, got the goal. And uh, and then of course got the second goal. Well, all hell broke loose. You could see the Bayern Munich players all falling to the ground. <laughs> United uh, fans were like just jumping up and down. And at the end of the whistle, you know, I always say I'd never seen so many grown men cry in all my life. You know, everybody was like crying, but there were sort of tears of joy. It was it was quite a, it was quite a surreal moment. And you think of the team as well, like oh. Peter Schmeichel, Ryan Giggs, yeah. David Beckham. The Neville brothers, you could go on and on. Like yeah. it was just an unbelievable yeah, yeah. team. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was an amazing. And of course, you know, the unfortunate thing, Roy, I saw Roy Keane and Paul, Paul Scholes, they came out when United were celebrating with the Cup and they they sort of, they, they, they didn't make the final, you know, because they were both suspended for mm. the final, unfortunately, you know. Uh, I felt terrible sorry for them. But they came out to celebrate, but they sort of, they didn't, it was almost like they, they didn't, they wanted to be involved, but they were just sort of, uh, you could see how disappointed they were that they sort of weren't there themselves, you know, in a way, you know, but and they wanted to just let the team get on with it because they, they were on the pitch and they wanted it. But the crowd were, were going mad for, for Skulls and Keane to come on. And when they came on, even in their suits, it was just there. Uh, yeah. And, and, and they stayed, you know, they stayed, they walked around the whole pitch with the cup dancing and it was just there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the, it was one of the best uh, nights for, as a United fan, you know. It's remember, 1999, it's a long time ago now. Unreal. Like, I remember chatting to uh, Clive Tilsley during an interview a couple of years ago and, and, yeah. and like, he was pointing out the fact that he was thinking, you know, on his commentary he had said for the free kick, the Bayern, <clears throat> the Bayern free kick, Basler deflected it in, but in hindsight it hadn't deflected at all. It had just gone, I think, through the wall and past Schmeichel. So he, sa- he says, you know, last 10 minutes he's sitting there thinking, the game hasn't been that great. I've got the only no. goal wrong in my first Champions League final <coughs> on, on ITV. I've, I've said it was deflected. It didn't deflect at all. And uh, United are going to lose. But, um, I mean, the commentary then for the last couple of goals, yeah. of course, you were in the stadium. But those last few minutes, Ken, it must have just felt Yeah, it was surreal. incredible. I mean, they hit a Bayern, even at 1-0, I think they hit the post twice, yeah. you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just like... Just the, you know, the, they sort of, they never gave up, you know. And I mean, that was the one of the great things about Ferguson's team. They ran and ran and ran and ran and never, ever gave up. So many times they'd scored goals in the last like five minutes, you know. Mm. We've seen them do it in the, in the Premier, in the league so many times, you know. And, and uh, they just kept going and going and going. It was a great engine. And uh, yeah, I mean, for Solskjaer to come on and Teddy Sharing to score, yeah, it was just. Uh, it was just quite incredible, you know, because we thought it was all over, you know, it was because Bayern were playing. So, I mean, Bayern is such a great team as well. Um, and they were just battering United, you know, And uh, but you just never know in sport, in football, in, in, in all sports, even in snooker, you just never know until until it's over, you know, and you keep going as, as best you can. And that's exactly what they did. And they got their, got their rewards in the end. Yeah, I think it was Tilsley that said, can Manchester United score? They always score. And of course, the... They did the duty full and scored twice. It was quite a, yeah. an impressive moment for for all United fans. One that will stick out. Um, another one, Ken, that you've that you've put into your list then is uh, is a game that will 
uh, live long in the memory because of well one of the opposition players Brazilian Ronaldo this is yeah. uh, Champions League 23rd of April 2003 United winning 4-3 on the night at Old Trafford against Real Madrid but of course Real had won the uh, the Bernabeu first leg 3-1 so United exited the tournament but yeah. this was really about Ronaldo's performance wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, so so many games. I mean, I saw I was at a Champions League in Rome when when Messi uh, played incredible and they beat United in the final. And Messi scored a header. Like it was great to see him and and that Barcelona team. That was an amazing team as well. But I think the best team that I'd ever seen uh, was Real Madrid that night. Uh, Ronaldo was playing. Uh, Figo, uh, Roberto Carlos, Zidane. Uh, was just an, a most amazing player, one of the best players I think I've ever seen. I mm. think I, I think I remember Roy Keane saying he says, you know, when he played against Zidane, he said that was the standard. He said that I had to aspire to, you yeah. know, because he was probably uh, the best midfielder of his generation. You know, Zinedine Zidane, you know, and uh, yeah, and to see that team and the way they played, and Ronaldo, of course, Brazilian Ronaldo, he got a hat trick that night. Now United. Um, they still won uh, 4-3. Beckham came on, he scored two goals. It was the last. It was Beckham's last game for United. I think mm. he joined Real Madrid not long after that, at the, at the end of the season. And uh, but Ronaldo, uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo, how well he was, or how good he was, you know, his his dribbles, his step overs, and it was the first time I'd ever seen an opposition player. Uh, being applauded and the whole crowd stood up and applauded Ronaldo when he was substituted I think after 67 or 70 minutes I've never ever seen that at Old Trump and I've never ever seen it since but it was just uh, an appreciation for his greatness he was just uh, a wonderful wonderful player and what a what an amazing team they were the, they were the real sort of the Galacticos as they were called you know Myself and Shane are just looking at each other here when you mention Messi, Zidane, Figo, Ronaldo. Like you've seen the best of the best. Yeah, I mean, I was looking, you know, like those matches, I mean, they don't come around very much and and they might not be around for a while as a United fan, you know. So, uh, so you sort of, they're they're matches that you just want to go and see, you know. But yeah, I mean, to see, uh, to see the great Messi play was, was amazing. And Xavi and Iniesta in that team, that was, uh, they were just unbelievable. Uh, but to see Zidane play um, mm. and see Roberto Carlos and, and Figo and, and Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, I mean, that was uh, that, that was quite special as well. You know, that will live long in the minute. And even though we sort of were knocked out of the Champions League and they didn't go on, I think they lost the Juventus in the next, in the next, in the quarterfinals yeah. or semifinals. Um, um, they didn't go on and win it that year, but they were just so good, so good to watch. They were like the, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters mm. playing football. It was just amazing. It wasn't AC Milan, I think, go on to beat Juventus in the yeah. final at Old Trafford, mm. funnily enough, on penalties in that, yeah. that final. Just looking at the two starting lineups, Ken, from that night, the United teams, you had Barthez in goal, the back four of Brown, uh, Rio Ferdinand, Sylvester, and John O'Shea. You had Keane, Butt, and Varane in the middle, and then you had Solskjaer, Vanistro, and Giggs up top. And then for Real, <coughs> you're looking at this team Casillas in goals, a back uh, four of Salgado, Hierro, Elguera, and Roberto Carlos. McAlealy mm. and Guti kind of in the, the, the sitting role. Figo, yeah. Zidane, and McManaman behind Ronaldo. So you're, you're looking at a, a trio of, of just before that recent Ballon d'Or winners in, in Figo, Zidane, and Brazilian Ronaldo. Yeah. That team is just terrifying. Mm. Yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, that front, the front line was just amazing, you know, and, and as I said, it was just, a, yeah, it was just a, a wonderful spectacle, you know, that, uh, and also at, at European nights, you know, were just very, very special than any home ground, you know, whether it be 
Man United or anywhere else. It's just those European nights, Champions League nights are just very, very special. But when you have a team like that coming uh, and glittered with, you know, stars and Ballon d'Or winners, as you said, uh, you just sort of, yeah, you just had to be there. It was just wonderful to witness, you know. It was football, football from the gods, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, switching sports for your last pick, Ken. And yeah. This was tennis for the gods, really, the Wimbledon final of, of 2014. Yeah. So Novak Djokovic beats Roger Federer in in, uh, in five sets, 6th of July 2014 at the Wimbledon Centre Court. I know you're a big yeah. tennis fan. Like This must have been quite special to be sitting in tennis court and, and taking in the, the atmosphere of a, of a five-setter and a decider like this. Yeah, well, I love. I sort of I, I picked this because uh, it's one of my favorite sports. I mean, uh, there was other sport. I like golf as well. You know, I could have picked the Royal Cup down at K Club. That would have been that would have been a very special time as well. Uh, but this one, and this is a funny story, really, because I was I was going, I was in, uh, I was at Nebworth at a concert for Iron Maiden, and this is how it happened. This was the this is how it all came about. I didn't, I hadn't got a clue I was going to Wimbledon uh, the next day. I'd no ticket or anything like that. And um, the drummer of Iron Maiden is a big snooker fan, and he'd been to the he'd been to the World Championship that year. And I got to introduce him, and sort of we exchanged numbers, kept in touch, and uh, got on really well with him. So anyway, he invited us to the concert in Nebworth, and uh, so we went along with a couple of friends, and uh, went into the to meet the meet the band afterwards. You know, and we're in there, sort of in the having the after sort of uh, concert party. And uh, he turned around and said to me, he says, you like your tennis, don't you? I says, yeah, I love it, you know. He knew my son played tennis and that. You know, he says, uh, he says, uh, I've got two tickets for the Wimbledon final tomorrow. He says, uh, he says, and one of the lads that I was taking, he, he, he can't go, he says, you know. Um, so he says, do you want to come with me? He says, do you have a suit, first of all? He says, yeah, I have a suit. I have a suit with me uh, in the car, you know. He says, right, he says, you're coming to Wimbledon with me tomorrow. He says, Djokovic and Federer. I says, you're joking. I, he says, yeah. He says, where? He says, I got an invite from the uh, the head referee. So after the concert, he says, you come back with me to London, he says. And uh, he says, stay in my house. And he says, we go the next morning. So he took me the next morning. Nick O'Macbrain, he is, his name is. You know, he's a drummer. And uh, <clears throat> he took me the next morning. He had his car pick him up and we go down and we, uh, he's dressed up. He's got this like pinstripe suit. He's He's got an old sort of uh, like fedora hat on, like a Havana hat. You know, he looks like the man from Del Monte, you know. And, uh, he takes me and we're, we're paraded around. We're in the members area. We're having lunch. You know, there's all the old tennis players there. And the referee is showing us all the sort of backstage area, dressing rooms and everything. It's just quite incredible, you know. I had to pinch myself. And, uh, and then he... Uh, we go out uh, into the uh, or a couple of rows back from from where the players sit. You know, absolutely uh, brilliant seats. You know, and he's wearing this hat. You know, and I, I said, "Oh, jeez, Nick!" I said, "This is just amazing to be here." You know, and as we sit down, he's got because he's got the hat on. This lady from behind him taps him on the shoulder, a real posh accent. She goes, "Excuse me, sir." She goes, "Do you mind removing your hat while play starts?" You know, and he looks <laughs> Most at me. Thing ever. <laughs> he looks at me like you know, and I. <laughs> I haven't got a clear what he's going to say, you know. And he turns around to her and he says, no, he goes. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me again and I looked at him and I says, Nico, I says, you're my hero, you know. (laughs) And And, uh, I just go, it was just absolutely brilliant. There was no way his hat was in the way in any way, you know. She was just like trying to make a point. And uh, just the way he dealt with her. 
and he looked at me and we laughed and uh, we watched the final. It was like a pulsating final just to see Federer play and Djokovic, of course. But Federer was my favourite. And uh, Federer, he should have won. He was he was two sets to one up. He was four one up in the fourth. Uh, Djokovic came back as he does, one seven five to take it to a five setter, and then he won. Unfortunately, that was the only dampener of the whole day was that Djokovic won. But uh, <laughs> yeah, what a what a you can't have it every way. But what an amazing experience, and to go with him and and see everything behind was just. Uh, yeah, incredible, you know. What a Jesus. story. That's unbelievable. I know you know the lads that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards from the, the Rolling Stones as well. So, the, the, like, the fact that the drummer of Iron Maiden brings yeah, it to the yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that happen? I can't believe that. How does that happen? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's my favourite pick out if you had to be there that there's we've ever had, uh, to be fair. That's unbelievable. Uh, Ken, unbelievable stories, unbelievable picks. Uh, and we've been onto the Santa Cop, but, like, the, for the final, it was just uh, to see those two play at their peak as well uh, was, uh, yeah. You had to be there, as you used to go say. Absolutely. On that note, Ken, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million as always for your time. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me. Great stuff. That is the latest episode of You Had to Be There. Yeah. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. I had to be there. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. Jesus, that's a brilliant episode there of You Had to Be There, brought to you from uh, Ken Doherty. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. 20 past 9 a.m. on this Thursday morning. I mentioned the Irish rugby squad is out, named by Andy Farrell. Joey Carberry, the big absence from that squad. Robbie Henshaw, of course, misses out as well. Uh, but yeah, no Carberry in the, in the squad for the Six Nations. Cameron called it yesterday on the show, I have to say, uh, our own Cameron Hill, so... Kudos. Fair play. Uh, here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio across the uh, rest of today. One o'clock, it's OTB Gold. Mick O'Connell at 80. 3pm, it's Leaders Questions. From 4pm, we have a retro panel with some Kilkenny legends. 6 o'clock, it's OTB Gold on Wexford 56. From 7pm then, this evening, OTB Live with Nathan Murphy. John Giles will be on the show and plenty more besides. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. We will be back after the ads. I mentioned that Irish squad, uh, the former Irish international, Ian Keatley, will react to that squad announced just this morning. But before all that, here's some uh, inspiration for your Thursday morning, courtesy of GMAC. Testing, one, two, one, two. GMAC, one, two. GMAC's morning motivational moment, or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Very good morning, uh, Graham McDowell here. GMAC, as you guys like to call me, some uh, Thursday motivation for you now. One of my favourite quotes. I've lots of them. There's so many to choose from. Nothing ruins a Friday like uh, realising it's Thursday. I might get that tattooed, although uh, generally speaking, I'm uh, not a tattoo kind of guy. That's your Thursday motivation. See you tomorrow. GMAX morning motivational moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 24 minutes past nine on this Thursday morning's OTB AM. Delighted to have you with us uh, as always on the show. Ian Keatley, very good morning. How are things? Very good now. Thanks, William. Keeping well. Uh, we're, we're reacting to this uh, squad that's just come out in the last 20, 25 minutes or so. Ian, uh, Joey Carberry, the big absence here. Yeah, definitely. I don't think uh, a lot of people saw that coming. And it's it, it's a strange one. Obviously, you've got um, you've got Danny Sexton, who's probably obviously always going to be in the squad. And then you probably have Ross Byrne. And I think that's probably the reason they kind of got, went with Ross Byrne ahead of Joey. He's, just, he's in really good form at the moment. And 
you know what people always say why why do our teams never picked on form and he's kind of gone that way this time so mm-hmm. he's kind of picked Ross who's who's done really well and the last couple of games obviously in the autumn internationals came on and, and got that winning kick and and he's kind of kicked on from there he had a good uh good period over Christmas and do you know what sometimes it's, it's nice to reward people who are in good form I mean before the squad was picked Ian what did your Irish fly half um, depth chart look like who would you have had in, in order I was kind of thinking like, obviously because Ross Byrne was playing well but I was kind of thinking he's probably going to stick with his, his reliables obviously Johnny was going to be in I probably thought he was going to go with uh, Joey Carberry and um, Jack Jack Crowley and even where they've got Jack Crowley at the, at the moment, they've got him playing 10 and 12. So just w- w- with kind of thinking of the squad, if you have like a 10 who can also play multiple positions on the bench, it kind of frees up it. So Ross is mainly uh, an out-and-out 10. So that's why I thought they might have went with Joey because obviously Sexton's going to start. So then I think they're going to go with Joey who could play 10 and 15. And then you've got Jack who could play 10 and 12. So that's that's the way probably coaches would be thinking. Do they have the cover on the bench for multiple positions? But as I said there already, I can quite understand why Ross is being picked. He's he's the he's probably the form ten, um, and you could see him even starting. Maybe not the first test, Wales away, but you could you could see him playing the two tests that are away from home against Italy and Scotland because that's what they need to do as well. Like they need to start developing developing other 10s who you could easily see Johnny retiring after the World Cup mm. or if Johnny gets an injury they need someone who's able to step up and the only way they're going to be able to step up if they get realistic game time or starting a Six Nations match and um, I think that's what he I think he needs to do that he needs to do that in this Six Nations Yeah it's such a blow for Joey Carberry when you're looking to a World Cup you know he's going to be thinking that in his mind but I suppose it's a shock in that he's sort of always been there but with the form he's been in of late, Ian, are you surprised that way? Listen, his form hasn't been terrible. And mm-hmm. We have to remember, like, as a 10, it also depends on how your whole team is going. And Munster have been, obviously, they had they didn't have a great start to the season and they've only been coming to form kind of over the last few weeks. Still a few little hiccups here and there. They lost to Leinster and they lost to, to, to lose. So... I think I don't think it's the end of Joey Carby. No, no way. I no. just think I just think that uh, Andy Farrell was like, he needs to develop guys. I want to pick guys on form and, and reward that, which he should. And like you can't, you can't. There's no argument for not picking Ross. He's done really well. Um, it is a blow for Joey, but I still think it could be the little little spark that he needs to concentrate on himself, uh, get back to form. And I, I still think he'll be in that that contention for the World Cup. So. He just needs to. Obviously, it's a blow for him because I'm presuming that he'd be thinking he'd be in the in the Six Nations squad. But he he just needs to take time off now and uh, concentrate on himself, get back into form, and I'm sure he'll be back uh, during those World Cup um, um, those World Cup pre matches. He'll, he'll definitely be in, and you just never know an injury and you're back in straight into the squad. Yeah, and Munster at the minute as well are hitting form, so it's a mm-hmm. a good time from to you know obviously be getting game time. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think Joey would agree with that. I'm sure he, he'd prefer mm-hmm. to be playing playing with Ireland. But yeah, there's always a silver lining, and that, that's all Joey can do now. He can't control anything that's gone on, so he just needs to get back. Obviously, dust himself off and uh, concentrate on Munster this weekend. If you're Andy Farrelly, and are you 
are you alternating Ross Byrne and, and Crowley in the <clears throat> in the Six Nations? Are you playing Sexton in every single game? Or are you holding him out for the World Cup? Like what, what sort of rotation are you looking at? And that's a, the double-edged sword there. Like, obviously, people like saying if Ireland don't win the Six Nations, you, you know how the, the media was spinning up, oh, mm. they're not going to win the World Cup. And that's that double-edged sword for Andy Farrell. Like, he needs to develop his players, and you just don't want to get to a state. Like, obviously, Sexton's nailed on number one, but, like, Johnny could get an injury. And then you want to look to someone who's had, had experience, who's started in big test matches, um. And you want you want to develop your squad, and you want to even probably have two or three guys like that. Uh, that that could be another reason he left Joey out. Joey's had a lot of experience starting those big test matches. Maybe he just wants to give develop Ross and Jack, and maybe give them a start each in this Six Nations uh, to develop them, and then um, and then call Joey back in, and then all of a sudden you've got four test players who have started uh, started test matches during this year coming into a World Cup and then all of a sudden you're actually in a really good position rather than just ha- having um, Johnny and Joey who probably have started most of the matches for Ireland. I know you're heavily involved in coaching at the moment yourself uh, Ian with, with UL Bohemian and, and I mean you would have been in and around that monster setup as well like would you have seen Jack Crowley up close and personal like well, what sort of uh, I guess elements does he bring to that Irish squad now? Yeah Jack Jack's a Jack's a great guy, and even talking to him, he loves talking about rugby and and different ideas and different approaches. Like he's got he's got all the skill set, and um, like I think he has the right temperament for for a ten. Like he's 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 obviously playing twelve a bit at the moment, but I think that's only going to help him develop develop his game. I think playing in different positions will will help you. Like if you're if you're playing 12 and you're 10, sometimes you just want the 10 to give you the ball a little bit earlier so you can use your footwork and it will help him see different space um, that he can create at 12. And, and and we can see that he's actually doing that quite a lot with Munster. He's helping Joey out. He's another distributor. And um, I think that's just going to help his game. But he, even look at his age age profile, he's a, he, he's still young. He's I think he's 23 years old. Um, like he's got a lot of a lot of time ahead of him, so it's a good time for him to get into that Irish squad, get a few caps, and you can really see see him being. Probably, I, I think he could be the starting number ten in after the World Cup. Another Munster player that's very exciting at the minute is Gavin Coombs. I seen him last weekend in Tillman Park, and he was just exceptional. He got over for two tries, and he's two caps at the minute for Ireland. So I think he's someone to really watch out for. Yeah, like Gav. Gav kind of came in. I think whenever CJ left, I think Gav was literally the direct replacement for that. He's he's very CJ Stander esque. Uh, he's he's such a strong ball carrier. He has this ability to able to take contact, be stopped dead, and then that ability to just drive his legs and and get over the game line. And, and every team watch, watches him when he's around a meter, or two meters out from the line, but they still can't stop him. And what, he, what what's happening now is. Lads now know that he's going to pick and go. He's going to get stopped, and then two or three guys just latch onto him. And with that strength and power, he just seems to be unstoppable two meters from the line. So it's great to see him developing. Like I was with him, I was coaching your Munsters when he kind of first came onto the scene, and he was still, he, he obviously had the skill set, but he was still very young and mature. But he's he, he's uh, young and immature, and, and now he's kind of developed, and he's he's a real mature and he's a real leader in that Munster squad now, which is what they need after CJ left a few years ago. 
guess it's probably Max Deegan that's missed out um, with, with Gavin Coombs coming in and, and, and Joe McCarthy probably ahead of, of Kieran Treadwell. Like Any arguments with either of those selections, Ian? No, it's it's tough. You probably, probably can't see them being on the in, in the starting team mm. either of them so they're kind of both going to be uh, kind of kind of fringe, fringe players but probably st- they once again they could even play that Italy and Scotland match away from home even though they're going to be very tough tests this year but once again it's all about um, and he's all about developing a squad for the World Cup having three or four realistic choices in every position um, now obviously he's in a he's in he needs to he still be competitive. He still wants to win the Six Nations, but he's got one eye in the World Cup developing them. And also, again, he's going on form. Um, you can see Joe McCarthy is on form for Leinster and Kieran Trowell with, with Ulster and the, the whole Ulster team are just, they're just going through a little rough patch at the moment. Obviously, they're short in confidence over that Christmas period, but I'm, I'm sure they'll back, bounce back. But it's kind of once again, Andy Farrell picking guys on form. Just speaking of that, I suppose when I was looking at the the squad there, I was a little bit surprised to see Jacob Stockdale. I don't think he's really been on form as of late, and even in the the autumn internationals, he didn't get a lot of game time. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, and and, and even like Bundyaki is in there as well, who hasn't mm-hmm. been playing the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. for for Connick. So we could, yeah, we could say that uh, he's going on form, but then again, he still has his his old reliables, and maybe he wants mm-hmm. to get. Uh, Bundy back playing again. Uh, he wants to get, and, and he's he's always gone to Bundy. Bundy and um, Ringrose or or Henshaw are kind of his his go to guys um, in the centre. They're they're good ball players. They're good distributors, and they're 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 very disruptive players going forward and in defence. So um, I used to know when I whenever I was in the Irish setup, like Andy Farrell loved those guys, and and you can see why um, with Jacob. Um, yeah, he hasn't been informed, but listen, I think we we remember what Jake can do when he when he's back fit and playing, and he could just be lacking confidence. And then this could be a way of Andy going right. I still believe in you. Get get back into the Irish setup because I still think that you could be in contention for the for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Get your confidence up by being in this setup, and then go back playing for Ulster and show us what you can do. Just um, very sorry to cut across you, Ian. Um, the the only uncapped player in the squad, Jimmy Osborne, that stood out for me as well. It's a huge opportunity for him, um, and, and and again we're talking about form. He is banging form for Leinster as well. So huge, huge uh, moment for him this morning. Yeah, unbelievable. And I've kind of saw little bits of him throughout the season, uh, but obviously uh, his performance there against Gloucester on the weekend was really his his, his standout and. He's very similar to to Ringrose, so now you can kind of go Ringrose and him. Uh, or else you can go Bundyaki and Ringrose, and it's just, or you can go Stu McCluskey and Jamie Osborne. You kind of have that, that that mix and that blend of of, of centre partnership that he that Andy Farrell could could mix up. But yeah, we talk about form, and Jamie Osborne's the one, the key centre on form, and it's mm-hmm. great for him to get called up. Ian, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million for your time this morning. Much appreciated. Cheers, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ian. Ian, keep you there, former. Uh, Munster Connacht Ireland player as well uh, a couple of the comments come in as well Mark has said on the YouTube very tough on Joey he was forced to play a style in Munster during the Van Gran reign that didn't suit his game he will come good under this regime and will bounce back he has too much talent I think a lot of people agree with that yeah. this isn't the end for Joey Carberry absolutely not and it, it's a good time at Munster you know things are happening and um, playing really exciting brand rugby and yeah maybe it is just getting that confidence again yeah. you know 
it's tough at 10 in the Ireland oh. squad. So tough. You know, you're biding your time. You're waiting to get that chance and yeah, it's not the end for Joey Carberry. 100%. No. Uh, Barry Murphy on the YouTube as well says, Ken Doherty's you had to be there. So uplifting. Lifted me from my usual early morning slump to a higher plane. <laughs> Last story about the Iron Maiden drummer was surreal. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. If you told me that was made up, I'd be like, it ha- like yeah, how was that up. real? <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, yeah, it would have been, been brilliant anyway just to be at that final in Wimb- uh, like 2014 at Wimbledon, Djokovic and Federer. But the fact that I mean, he was at Nebworth watching Iron Maiden and then the drummer's like, come with me. But that's what I said to you. I was like, you just listening to Ken there, like you'd want to hang around with him. Oh. Like if I had one ticket, like, yeah, Ken would be good crack. He's a brilliant guy. I remember <laughs> being at the Crucible, uh, was it 2018 or 19? I was there both years, but but one of the years, Ken, I was doing an interview for a, a documentary I did on Ken's 1997 win in his whole life. Um, and like, he just brought me behind the curtain into the behind the scenes area and out onto the, the stage right beside the table. And he's literally just tapping the table. Yeah, so this is where I took the shot that won the World Championship right here. And I was like, this is bizarre. There's fans sitting in the seats as well. And just the access he gives you. He's such a down-to-earth lad. Yeah. He's amazing. The darling of Dublin, I think, was his nickname back in the the day. From Miranda. Great. Well, brilliant stuff. Ashley, thanks for winning. Thanks, As always, this morning. Uh, Great stuff. Uh, Thanks for joining us as well on this Thursday morning OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We will be back tomorrow morning, myself and Adrian, in the hot seats with Ronan O'Gara. Martin Lipton, Alan Quinlan, the latest episode of Around the World with Hannon, with myself, plus plenty more besides Adrian Barry will be in this very chair um, and plenty to talk about with, with Raj and Quinney on that Irish squad and Martin Lipton as well as Spurs play at Man City tonight in the Premier League. We see, remains to be seen if they can bounce back from the disappointing North London Derby defeat last weekend. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.